Guys, without further ado, let's bring on our guests. And we're going to be bringing in both Keegan Weatherford and Jeremy Spainauer. Welcome, brothers. Welcome. Thanks, brother. And we also have Brian. Brian is joining us tonight for the conversation. Welcome, brother. Yes, sir. Hey, brother. And, and guys, for everyone that's curious, um, Brian is actually acquaintances with Keegan. And they've been um, friends for a few years now. And Brian approached Keegan and said, hey, would you guys like to come on to Sean's channel? You guys talk about Torah and Covenant. And, and that's where I guess Keegan reached out to his friend, who's a pastor, Jeremy. And then they all decided to do it. So I was happy. I said, let's do it. Yep. Welcome, everybody. Yes, it's good to be here. Thanks for having us. You had a fancy opener to this video. It's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, We I try to, you know, um, put up a little production value um, after three years. So it's, yeah, I just nice. try to continually get it better, you know. Nice. Yeah. It's easy when you're just clicking buttons and you don't have to coordinate a lot of people <laughs> like you do at a church, you know. Yeah, right. that's right. But uh, gentlemen, if you want, if you don't mind, just give us uh, just a, a moment or two, each of you. Just go through and share a little bit about yourself. And uh, I'm, I don't know, whatever you might think to include, how long you've been a believer. Um, what What's that walk been like? If you can summarize that in a couple minutes. So you're welcome to introduce yourselves. Keegan, why don't you go first? Sure. <clears throat> My name is Keegan. I ran into Jesus when I was 19. I came out of the party scene, so I did all sorts of dumb stuff. Drank a lot, smoked a lot of, of the green sticky stuff, and uh, had to run from the cops a few times. And then I ran into Jesus when I was 19, and he turned my world upside down and right side up at the same time. And uh, ended up going into missions with YWAM around the world for a little bit. And I just love talking to people about Jesus. And one day I was driving from Montana to Washington State and saw a guy on the side of the road. And I was like, I felt like God stirred in me to pick him up. And that happens to be Brian. So that's how we met. We, nice. we drove for a little bit. And we actually, I just got finished with Bible school in Montana. And then he jumps in the car and he was kind of in the place of searching. So we did like Bible overview and talked about you know, the law and the prophets and all the way into the new, new Testament. And so anyways, cool. And me and Jeremy used to spar together. That's how I know him. He That's hits, right. he hits really hard. Oh, whatever. <laughs> cool. In fact, Keegan, when you were talking about, you said a couple of times in your conversion, you ran into Jesus. I just kept thinking about that, that moment in the movie man of steel where the guy at the bar is trying to hit Superman and he just like bounces back. Cause it's just, <laughs> it's like he's hitting a wall. That's the way nice. I envision people's conversion when they run into Jesus. Right. Because that's, yep. you know, you just get smacked and get, get to rock bottom real quick. He brings you to a point of repentance. Yes, sir. It's also what it was like when Keegan tried to hit me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I did, I did hit you and he got mad and hit me back. Probably. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. All right. Jeremy, what about you, brother? Uh, similar background. Uh, I was in the party scene. I had kind of a messed up childhood and uh, dropped out of high school and was doing drugs and all the rest. And, uh, and I had an encounter with Jesus when I was 22 in my bedroom by myself, not looking for him. Uh, but he was apparently looking for me and I had, I had been raised in and around the church. I was in the church, uh, but I, not of the church. If it, if you see what I'm saying. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, in a moment, I, I just had this revelation of, the gospel being the truth. And it was like all of the discipleship in my history became like, like a landing strip of lights. And I knew exactly what it meant to be a Christian because I'd you know, been exposed to it my whole life. And uh, yeah, from that 
point forward, it was a radical change. And actually, the, the way I even know Keegan is I ended up in the same Bible school in Montana with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Nice. And then uh, eventually got out of YWAM and, and went back to school and uh, went through that track and became a pastor. Now I'm here in, uh, in Washington State. So Awesome. Yep. Awesome, awesome. All right, Brian, what about you, brother? Uh, I spent, and Keegan actually took me to uh, Barnes & Noble after he picked me up and got me a new Bible. So <laughs> Yes, sir. Um, I spent two years hitchhiking across country with my King James, and I just wanted to get closer to God, and I slept behind buildings and all that. And I spent six months in Montana. I've been to multiple states. A lot of weird things happened, but what sealed the knot is some lady picked me up in Tacoma. She prayed for me, put her hand on me, and I came out of my body for like 10 seconds. I don't know how to describe the feeling, but I wasn't in my flesh no more, and I came out. And when I got came to, I hopped out of the seat, and I said, what was that? So that that right there sealed the knot for me that this is truth. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Right. That kind of reminds me of 2 Corinthians 12, right? Paul's mm-hmm. talking about this vision. He doesn't know if it was in the body or out of the body. He's kind of confused mm-hmm. about it. So. Yeah. Well, brothers, uh, it's glad to have you on tonight. And I think um, um, I, I myself been a Christian since July 17th, 1997, um, kind of similar to Jeremy. I, I wasn't at a church altar call. I wasn't really in a position where people were trying to evangelize me or talk to me. I'd grown up in church, but I was just doing what I thought I had to do to get by because my family, my dad was a pastor for a long time. And then uh, there was it was a regular habit and tradition for my family to go to church. But was it really anything real to me? Not until July 17th, 1997, um, sitting in the back of a minivan on I-95 in New Jersey, just depressed because I'd went through a breakup and just having an internal conversation in my head with God, you know, asking him to basically daring him to prove to me he was real. And boy, did he ever. So um, at that moment, I immediately wanted to read the word and couldn't stop, haven't stopped since then. And um, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful journey, even though I've made all the mistakes, the father hasn't. So it's been, it's been a lopsided journey. And so, uh, but yeah, it's, to me, I have a, a, a passion for the word. I, I love to talk about the scriptures and I'm just excited that the three of you wanted to come on and talk about them tonight. Now for yeah. the audience watching, I just want to let you guys know, and some of you may, may know because you've seen my channel, but if you're just seeing this for the first time, go ahead and subscribe. But um, yeah. I don't think we all agree on what we're going to talk about tonight. We're all believers. We all agree that, you know, father and the son salvation comes through the son alone, that this is, this is the basic fundamentals of, of our belief in our faith in Christ. But at the same time, I think there's some minute points that we're going to review tonight. Uh, one of them being whether or not we're in the old or the new covenant or even some, some, you know, allotment in between those two. Mm-hmm. And then also how much of God's instructions, which we often call Torah here on this channel, how much of his instructions from throughout the Bible do apply to us today as believers and disciples of Jesus. So guys, uh, hopefully y'all are ready for a fun conversation and yeah, I honestly don't know even want to know where to start. Uh, Brian, did you yeah. have a question that you wanted to pose for, for any of us? No, not specifically. I'm just in my walk as, as a believer as I'm at a standstill where, you know, do, do, you know, do I follow Torah, the gospel, both of them? And, you know, that's, that's where I'm at I'm trying yeah. to figure out. Because there's so many different denominations. There's so many. I have a pastor buddy that, that, that pastors a uh, ex-co-worker that pastors a uh, Pentecostal church. And, uh, you know, his stance is, you know, the laws nailed to the cross. It's done away with anything, new covenant theology, anything from Matthew on is what we adhere to. So I can. OK, well, I won't ask the pointy questions yet, but let me ask you this. A lot of times um, I, I love detective shows 
right? And so there's like a famous line in detective shows that usually you, know, you can almost solve the case by asking the right question. So you just you just posed a dichotomy within your question, which was, should we do the gospel or the Torah? Who's convinced you that those are two separate things? Right, right. Yeah, so, no, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, no, it's a genuine question, because that's, growing up on my life, I heard that it was two separate things. Then I started to study it, and I, and I came to the conclusion personally that it was not two separate things, that Yeshua, our, our Messiah, he followed the Torah. That was why he's without sin, and that he instructed us to follow the Torah in multiple places in the old in the uh, new, new testament gospels so this is where sometimes we run into a dichotomy that's posed to us and it can it can stumble us up or confuse us but um i would say personally the gospel which is you know and then we have to define what good news that word just means good news so then we have to talk about what good news are we actually discussing tonight so if is it just the good news of his, of yeshua's life death and resurrection like paul talks about first corinthians 15 1 through 3 or is it the good news that Yeshua talked about 44 different times in the four Gospels, which was what he called the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God, which, which includes covenant behavior, which includes resurrection, which includes him as the high priest and the king over that kingdom, which includes the behavior of that kingdom being the Torah, to my understanding. So what do you guys, Keegan, Jeremy, what would you guys think yeah. about that? Uh, well, just to clarify, this is making a little more sense what you shared just before we got on here. Um, uh, I, I would totally agree that if you're defining Torah as discipleship of Jesus, then of course there is there actually is no dichotomy because you've just defined it within that frame of reference. I think the I think the debate uh, around this issue has to do with the relationship between the law and the gospel, kind of the classic categories. So uh, it, does that make sense just for if establishing the categories we're dealing with? Uh, who are you addressing? I'm, ad I'm addressing you. Oh, sure. Yeah, and that's where I was trying to find the word gospel for us and see which, which term that we're using that by. If it's the mm -hmm. good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, mm -hmm. then um, I would still say we, have, we struggle to, to draw a definitive distinction between what's called the Torah, the instructions of God for living, the, the commandments, the commandments um, from our Messiah, um, because both he did them perfectly before he resurrected. Yeah. And now he continues to do that behavior after he resurrects um, his, his behavior doesn't change. In my opinion, this is, in fact, I would pose that he's actually doing the Torah more than anyone else right now, because he's a high priest. He's been put into a priesthood. Uh, this mm -hmm. is why First John 1, uh, 9 would say that we would confess our sins. That's why he, in his position of priesthood, is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. um, because he's literally, as Hebrews 8, 1 through 5, talks about he's ministering in the heavenly tabernacle above, doing his priesthood. Mm -hmm. um, so therefore, he has to be doing the Torah, which is the instructions yeah. for a priest to make atonement on behalf of right. the man before God. Yeah, and you, and so, well, Hebrews 8 is maybe a, a good place for us to at least eventually go because yeah. that's where the question of covenant is brought up in in proper terms, right? Where we we read about a better covenant, Christ being the new mediator, according to a different priesthood, right? Not a priest. He he wasn't even qualified to be a priesthood of the uh, a priest of the old covenant. He was not a Levite. He was that's descended right. from Judah. He was a priest in the order of Melchizedek whose right. priesthood was based on the power of an indestructible life. It's a completely different order, but I agree mm -hmm. with you. He is, he is 
at, he is our mediator right now under what I would say the new covenant. And so I think this is where the question comes in. And I, let me just clarify one thing just to preempt uh, maybe an assumption that that maybe you have with other people in this debate. Um, I would reject what would be termed antinomianism against the law and a kind of a kind of anti-legalism that just tosses out the law as a correction. Right. But and I don't think to make up a, a new definition of the law by lumping it into this law of Christ idea. Yeah, that's right. And, and I would reject that. But but I, I wouldn't say um, I, I wouldn't try to correct antinomianism by being kind of a pro legalism. But let me qualify it in this sense. I don't think the law I don't think the old covenant Sorry, I don't think the new covenant lowers the standard of discipleship, of our obedience, of what's required of us. I actually think it raises the standard mm -hmm. of what's required of us. Jesus came and said, you've heard it said, don't murder. The law says don't murder. But what do I say? Speaking on his own mm -hmm. authority, you shall not be angry with your brother. You're liable to judgment if you're angry with your brother. And, and there's this constant contrast. The law says, don't commit adultery. I say, don't lust. The law says, mm -hmm. love your neighbor. I say, love your enemy. So, yeah. so I actually think the, the requirement, the, the standard is, is much higher under the gospel. It's just that we have a new safety net, as it were, of grace. That's the way I would well, articulate the broad contours of the way I describe it. Absolutely. And I've definitely, um, you know, growing up in my life, um, I definitely heard that same description quite often. But Jeremy, what if I said to you that the, th the things that, that Yeshua repeated in those moments where he's he's drawn that that distinction between you've heard it said, don't murder, but I said, don't be angry with your brother. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I said, don't lust in your heart. What if I said the things that he countered with are also in the law in the Old Testament? I, I would just say, explain what you mean. Well, like if, the, you know, uh, Leviticus 19, I think it's verse... Uh, um, 16 don't don't hold an anger or grudge in your heart against your brethren but you should love your neighbor as you love yourself it's it's actually in leviticus 19 it's already there and so okay but what, what about love your enemy yes the 100 is to love your enemy as well i don't know well uh, no if it anyone's in the chat well, yeah where does it say in the old testament mm -hmm. to love your enemy i mean you love your love the sojourner among mm -hmm. you right yeah. love the foreigner but but right. where explicitly does it say love yeah. your enemy that, and pray for those who persecute you. Those seem if, like addendums to me. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the big question that you would have to have if you're going to suggest that the Messiah is adding addendums to God's instructions for living would be to, to, to say on what authority can someone who's submissive to the Father's instructions, which he claims he was in John 15, 8 through 11, and, uh, you know, he totally, everything he, he says. He totally what, can, was submissive. Right. Yeah. So, so at what point? Did the father say, I'm going to I'm going to allow my son to just make up new rules for instruction for discipleship? Well, hold on. You got to deal with the original question. Where does no, it am. say I love am. your love your enemy? And and remember what he says uh, to introduce this. You remember yeah. Matthew five, right? Mm -hmm. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not even enter the kingdom of heaven. I take that to mean the scribes and Pharisees as representing the law. I don't think what he's referring to is the corrupt scribes and Pharisees, because surely there were scribes and Pharisees who were mm -hmm. obeying the law. So, so I would, I would regard that as Jesus himself saying, 
I'm right. about to introduce something that exceeds the righteousness that the law demanded. And I think he is the only one who perfectly fulfills that. That's the way I no, understand. He, no, I totally agree. But there, there's a little bit of context that we're missing out on, on where you quoted from Matthew 5, 19 <laughs> what, and 20. Okay. And, I, and I'm, before we go to Proverbs 25 to talk about loving your enemy, um, I, I would quickly want to address the context of Matthew 5, 17 through 18. And if you don't mind, I'll put it on screen for all of us to, to read along. Just give me one second. Let me pull it up here. Because I agree with you, um, we have Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus are two examples of Pharisees who seem to have faith. They seem to, I mean, they call themselves disciples of Yeshua, and uh, they they even went through great expense to bury him um, when the time came. And uh, even Nicodemus, if I'm not mistaken, putting or Joseph Arimathea putting himself at risk with the Romans to request the body of Yeshua um, once the time came for him to pull him off the cross. So let me pull this uh, verse up real quick so we can all read along. Do a little screen share. What translation are you using? Uh, this will be the KJV. Do you guys have a specific translation you feel comfortable with? Oh, I mean, it's it's all pretty close. So okay, yeah. I mean, I know that some people are like diehard KJV. I'm not. I sometimes switch between NASB, KJV, ESV, Septuagint. People always ask me in the in the comments of my videos which translation to use, and I just try to jokingly say I, I use all of them that I can. I always try to cross-reference the different mm -hmm. translations, you know, because they're using sometimes different manuscripts for their translation. Hmm. So if we look here on screen, yes, you're 100% right. Yeshua did say your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. But what's the context of why he led up to that statement? And it's 17 through 19, where he says, Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And that word yep. in the Hebrew means to, the word in the Greek means to accomplish, to do. Absolutely. So, Verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law to all fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. So we have from this point on this wonderful Sermon on the Mount time period going mm -hmm. forward. We have an escalation mm -hmm. in friction between the Pharisees who ruled the Sanhedrin of that day and Yeshua walking around preaching and healing people. Mm -hmm. And that friction escalates to the point where he's reprimanding them almost at every turn. <laughs> he's making them very mad. They're starting by chapter eight or nine. They're plotting into killing. And then he uh, he really makes them mad by verse twenty three. Oh, yeah. Or chapter 23, when he goes on and he says, Then spoke Jesus to the multitude and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. That's where they would read the law in the synagogues. And all, therefore, whatever they bid you observe, that means whatever they're reading to you, to observe that and practice that. But observe and do, but do not do after their works. For they say the things they read, but they don't actually do them. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's calling out their hypocrisy because the the prevalent majority of the Pharisees and scribes that that were the religious leaders of the day were not doing the actual Torah of God from the Old Testament. And in fact, we're teaching lots of traditions of men to the people. And we actually have this spoken uh, specifically in Mark chapter seven. Where he's he's reprimanding the Pharisees again by explaining to them that they lay aside the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. 
He says, mm -hmm. full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. And they do. He calls them out on this kind of behavior many, many times in Scripture. So I would say in the context of Matthew 5, 17 through 20, he just tells them as far as greatest and least in the kingdom of God, people that teach to not do the commandments will be least. Teach that people that teach to do the commandments would be the greatest. And then he follows it up with, because your righteousness, which that word righteousness as a definition we can review here in a minute, it must be greater than the Pharisees. The mm -hmm. Pharisees were being so you, called so out for you So, so you, the way you interpret that is that he's base he's generalizing the Pharisees only as those who were the the hypocrites among them. You don't think they that he's referring to a, a standard higher than the law? Is that well, that's what you're why, saying? That's why just, I pulled up Matthew 23. Okay. Yeah, same, I th yeah, it, yeah. I, yeah. I, I was just clarifying. Yeah. And and, and that's fair. I, I don't agree with you, but I see where you, the, the Pharisees are kind of thrown under the bus throughout the gospels. There's a few exceptions maybe, yeah. but, but I can see why you'd say that. I, I still, in the law of Moses, let's just focus on this one, this just one thing that we haven't, we haven't established. Sure. In the law of Moses, you're saying there was a command in the law of Moses to love your enemies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So show me where that is. No, it's 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 not in the law of Moses. That's another thing that oh. we might want to make sure we're using the right definitions together tonight. Okay. That's where I was saying Torah is the instructions of God mm -hmm. that's given through the prophets. That's okay. we get that through more than just Moses, right? Yes. That Yeshua himself, he referred to as uh, the prophets, the mm -hmm. writings of Moses. Um mm -hmm. And even the Psalms, he referred yeah. to them as scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking that we would, I think we all believe that Proverbs is scripture, right? Yeah, uh, yeah but okay. well, here's where, here's where it matters. What the law of Moses does specifically is it creates the, the boundary line that defines transgression, right? Now no, you could that... say, okay, so this is where we might have a major disagreement. See, I, I would, I would argue that that's my understanding of the law. Now, sin is a broader category, but transgression. Well, go ahead. See, I, I was like gonna, to hear what you say. I was just going to say that the just as we have in Hebrews chapter one, verse one, mm -hmm. that the Father spoke through many prophets and many portions throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Okay, those all of those words are applicable to us, is what I would suggest. This is where we fall into oh, 100 percent this dichotomy that is is propagated in in. A lot of uh, a lot of churches where they say, well, the law of Moses is Judaism. That's what is done away with. That's what, you know, Colossians 2 is nailed to the cross, according to the people's, in my opinion, their misunderstanding of Colossians. Mm -hmm. So this is where they've drawn this hard and fast line that Judaism promotes the law of Moses. But that's not what the scriptures say. And that's not what the scriptures define as the father's instructions for us and for our behavior. Oh, I didn't say that. Yeah. Sure. What I was what I was referring to, uh, I put it in the context of the covenant and the whole covenantal system, temple, priesthood, sacrifices, sin offerings, guilt offerings, right? Yeah. Just just real what, quick, I would say here in Proverbs 25 before we get too far away. Okay. This is the spot you're asking about. This is one of them. There's other ones, especially going to 1 Samuel, you got other places David exemplifies this. If your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. This okay, that doesn't say love your enemy. Okay, well, this is loving behavior, my brother. Yeah. Okay, it's loving behavior, but just yeah. for the record, it Jesus makes a positively yeah. stated command at the culmination, right? You might say of his moral commands in the Sermon on the Mount, just before he introduces the Lord's Prayer, right? Yeah. 
and and it culminates in love your neighbor. Uh, uh, you've heard it said he he's right. the one drawing the contrast, and right. I think he's doing so on the whole basis of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. As this is what you've heard them say, right? Right. Because remember, they're say, they're not teaching the fullness of the Torah. They're teaching commandments. They're teaching traditions over commandments. As we just reviewed the scriptures. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to okay. draw that that dichotomy to show you that even Yeshua okay. is trying okay. to acknowledge to but, the people that they're teaching yes. something not fully in the Torah, not fully right. in the instructions okay. of God from the but, prophets. But what was but what was generally understood as binding was the law of Moses. Would you agree with that? What was understood, and he was speaking into that, and he was indeed. It's not like I think Jesus introduced any new principles, but he did introduce new definitive and binding commands, right? In saying, what, love what your enemy. Commands? That was never said. I, I'm just let's focus well, I, on the one. I would, is he, I would suggest that's never it is. said in scripture, I would other than when it Jesus said it. Not in those specific words, just like there's a lot of principles that are expressed in the Old Testament that we get re-expressed in different ways, like through Paul's letters. Right. I just had on the screen here, Proverbs 25, 21, which Paul repeats in uh, Romans chapter 12 about, you know, that if you do good to your enemies, it's like heaping coals of fire upon their head. And the Lord will reward you for this. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's pulling directly from Proverbs 25, 21 and saying that. Okay. So this is um, Paul reiterating, love your enemies, okay. do good to them. Yeah. So I, don't, so, I just so, don't know what other yeah. way we would well, define love well, and other than to do good to, to those people that we... Okay, you know. uh, this is... Uh, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on this one. Let me ask you this. Okay. How, how, um, how do you think the term law or namas is used in the New Testament? Uh, when when the, the law is referred to, it, do, do you think it's referring to the law of Moses or do you think it's referring to what you're calling the Torah? Well, which which usage are you thinking of? Uh, well, Romans eight, for example, that may be a good. Yeah, we can go there. Case, yeah. Yeah, let me see here. I'll pull this up on screen for us to look at. Is there a specific verse you're thinking of? Uh, Romans eight one through uh, one through actually one, one through, through. No, you can. I mean, we can. I mean, I'd love to read all of Romans eight together because it's yeah. one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. But even even just one through four will okay. give us because I don't want us to try to well, cover too much. Let's look I at one you. through four at first. Okay, I just as you know, remember this is kingdom in context. Yeah. Um, focus on okay. this context. Beautiful. In scriptures. So, and wait, when, read, you context, when you say context, when you say context, because there's many contexts. There's literary yeah. context. There's canonical context. There's historical context. Right. right. So there's covenantal context, you might say. Actually, we might disagree on that. Right. But 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 what do you mean when you say context? I, I just mean I, I suggest we read all eight verses in the passage. Um, OK, beautiful. Because there seems to be a break in, in the thoughts between verses eight yeah. and nine. You know, as yeah. far as the, the context of the maybe passage. start in seven twenty five then. Just because yeah, there's a therefore, we need to know what it's yeah. there for, right? Yeah. yeah, we always try to remind the audience that the yeah. in the Greek, they didn't have verses or chapters. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So right. we can definitely start in 25. It says, and I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind on myself, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that, it goes right into Romans 8.1. And it mm -hmm. says, therefore... There is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it cannot subject to the law, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. Yeah. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Yeah. What would so you like the, to point out about this passage? Well, well, remember my question was mm-hmm. when you in in references to the law in the New Testament, I'm trying to get an understanding of your understanding of the way law is generally used in discussions like this. I mean, Paul's consistent in his use. There's uh, Well, until you get to chapter 10, and when he starts breaking down the law of Moses versus the law of righteousness we get through Christ. Yes, right. Right. So yeah, if you'd like, I will break down verses 2, 3, and 4, if you like, real quick, because I always try to do it through the definitions of terms, and that usually gives us a good starting place. That's where you have to start. So, yep. And I... I would suggest that verse one is that we don't have any condemnation because we now have a high priest, Jesus Christ, whom Peter explains in Acts 2, 33 and 34, who's ascended to his priesthood position and now gives us the spirit as he chooses. Okay. Wonderful shortcut, if you will, to God's power. And and, and he is a a mediator. He's the mm -hmm. high priest according to a new covenant. A, A new covenant. He's uh, well, yeah, we can definitely get there. Yeah. Okay, we'll go to yeah. Hebrews yeah. 8 after this, then. Okay, for sure. Yep, um, because that's going to lead us back to Jeremiah when the when the concepts introduced Jeremiah 31. Whole yep, a whole bunch of yep, places. That's yeah. Right. yeah, beautiful. Um, and I think people in the chat want us to address, want us to address Luke uh 2022 at some point and some other places where you should have mentioned. Some oh, yeah, so okay, good. So basically, um the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What would you mm-hmm. say the law of sin and death is? Uh, I would understand that to be the effect of the law. So when Paul talks about the law of sin and death, I think he is referring to the law of Moses and the effect it had on us, right? Because the law defines sin. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6. And so he's saying, that it, this law of the uh, spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. And then he points out what the law couldn't do for God has done, has done what the law couldn't do, weakened as it was by the flesh, by sending us his own son as a sin offering. It's, okay. And how, did, how do you see that happening? So if we, and by the way, I just want to throw this out there, that we keep using this term law of Moses. Mm-hmm. It's literally not Moses's invention. He got those from the father. Yeah, I'm using it as an idiom because right. I'm trying it just for communication's sake, right? No, I get it, but but what but unfortunately, what it does when you carry that idiom into every book of the Bible, uh-huh. it makes people think Judaism. Yeah, so that's the modern connotation when people hear Law of Moses. Um, okay. But really, if we go back to Exodus, Moses got all that information from the Father. So 100%. Yeah, it's not really something he made up. It just was a cultural idiom, like you're saying, attributed to Moses, because that was where the the the, lawgiver. Right. But the Bible also refers to the law of Moses. So it's not foreign to the text. Right. So. Right. But but I I, but I appreciate what you're saying. Absolutely. So. But that's how how I'd understand. Yep. Okay. Go ahead. And so I would suggest this is a reference to the priesthood of Yeshua in verses two through four. 
Okay. The law of the spirit of life in Christ. Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Are you currently free from the law and sin and death? In your, can you no longer transgress the law and be susceptible to the punishment of death at this point in your life? Uh, well, I am, I am obviously going to die. So, no. Okay. I'm under, I am under the judgment of the law. Uh, we all are. We're all right. going to die. So. Right. So, yeah. So this is what I was saying. The way that the law of the spirit of life in Christ is only attained through his priesthood, because in that position of power, in that position of authority over us, he's able to raise us to eternal life because he's atoned for our sins and yeah. is able to give us new life. And, this and is what's I, expounded I, upon in John chapter five, as well as Hebrews, sure, even sure. up to Revelation yeah. three. Yeah. I, I'm, cu I'm curious. Um, I'm curious why you're invoking the priesthood in this discussion. Paul kind of famously because it's verse doesn't... three. It's mm -hmm. verse three. Paul actually speaks about the resurrection emphatically throughout the book of Romans. He actually mentions it 14. It's actually the backdrop of context to okay. 14 different passages in this in the book. So okay, in, but... in chapter in verse three, this is why unless you unless you're unfamiliar with the priesthood of Yeshua, you would under you would not be aware of the process required that he's mentioning in verse three for what the law could mm -hmm. not do. The law cannot give you atonement to the point of raising you to eternal life. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, but I don't agree that that's what he's talking about. I know. I, I know. I'm just trying to give you my understanding of the yeah, yeah, okay. how it, yeah, how it applies it. Yep. to the priesthood of Yeshua. Yeah, mm -hmm. I definitely understand you don't you don't agree with this. So yeah. but what, what I'm saying here is for the law could not do right. That's the law mm -hmm. could not. Even though there was frail priests, as Hebrews chapter seven explains, mm -hmm. the law did not have its own power just by us abiding in the instructions yes. of God I could not secure. You cannot secure for you to yes. raise your and quicken your body to a glorified body and give you eternal life. Yes. That's needed to come through a conduit of the Father's Spirit through, his, through a priest. That's why Yeshua, beautiful, I agree with that. Born, Yeshua yep. was nominated for that position. So yes. that's why he's saying, though we was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Mm hmm. So that the righteousness of the law, that is the yep. word righteousness means the right behavior of the mm -hmm. law might yes. be fulfilled in us who That's, might be what's the word fulfilled mean yeah. might be completed and uh, done yeah yeah but us. the next clause yeah. is the key to the whole passage oh it's gonna get yeah i love it yeah so okay. this is why it says though in who the, the the righteousness of the law the right behavior that jesus exemplified might be fulfilled in us because we're discipling after his behavior in this mm -hmm. lifetime in the new covenant we get that emblazoned on our heart and do it faithfully forever mm -hmm. with our new glorified bodies so oh, this okay. is why that, now yeah. that helps me yeah, understand we're, where we're you're going. There, okay. I promise you, I'm not putting you off. I'm just yeah, yeah. I'm helping the audience follow us. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is why we who walk not after the flesh, because if you're walking after the flesh, you're not doing the law of God. You're not doing the behavior of Jesus. Yes. Right. Okay. It says, but that's us who walk after the Spirit. Uh huh. Yes. So I would suggest in verse three and four, Paul's making a direct correlation to the righteous behavior of Yeshua that we complete and do is directly called walking in the spirit. He expounds upon that in verses five through eight by saying, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. He also says in the previous chapter, Romans seven, 12, the law is spiritual. Mm -hmm. He goes on to say in verse six here, for to be carnally minded is death, but spiritual mind is life and peace. Life and peace mm -hmm. is the promise of the covenant because you've done the behavior and discipleship. Yeah. Verse seven is because the carnal mind is enmity against God. But here's mm -hmm. the kicker. Here's the kicker, brother. For it is not subject to the law of God. The carnal mind, the one Amen. that's in the flesh, 
Yep. It says it says it cannot be subject to the law of God. Okay. Yeah, I agree. So do do I want to be in a carnal mind that's in the flesh and not subject to the law of God, or do I want to be walking in the spirit and be subject to the instructions of God? Oh, for sure, one hundred percent. Okay. Now, okay. now, hey, I think I'm think I'm starting to understand your 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 understanding a little better. So this is good for communication. Let me ask one quick question, and then I want to just kind of spell out what I see in this text. Was the Holy uh, Spirit real, real quick, Jeremy? Your, I'm sorry. Yeah, to, I'm sorry ahead. to interrupt you, brother. Hey, hey, Brian. There's a lot of um, mic noise on your phone. Do you, okay, brother. Appreciate it, brother. Just yeah. un, unmute yourself when you're ready to come in, brother. Okay. Sorry, Jeremy. Okay. What was the Spirit of? Was the Holy Spirit, in your understanding, available prior to Pentecost, after Jesus' death? In, in under the old covenant, hundred percent, yeah. Okay, okay. See, this is where we disagree. Okay, now, <laughs> what do you what do you think happens? Well, hold in on. Let, let me let me spell out my interpretation of this text because let's go to the text and then let's have the conversation. Okay, because you spelled out yours, right? So okay, which you text? Put that, uh, Romans yeah. eight one through. Okay, seven. sure. Okay, so what I see is Paul at the very beginning. Okay, he sets up a contrast. There's no for, uh, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, there we go. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So those are the categories he starts with. For the law, and then he brings up these two categories consistent. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit of life corresponds to the spirit in verse 1. Just as the law of sin and death corresponds to the flesh in verse one. In this contrast, you have to keep it in balance the whole time because he's referring to this carnal nature as right. in specific relation to this law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, why couldn't it do it? Because the law didn't have any power that came with it. That's his that's what he says, weak as it was through the flesh. Whose flesh? Our flesh. Okay. Weak as so it, hold on, let, ask, let me finish. Let me finish. Well, and then okay. we'll let me give the full kind of exposition. Let's stick to the text and then we'll have the conversation. Oh, sure. Weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Sorry, I'm doing it from memory and it's not King James, it's ESV, NASB. Uh, and for Wait. sin, he condemned. Let's go sin. there for you real quick. Okay, thanks. I know it's kind of confusing. I'm like, wait. <laughs> uh, he condemned sin in the flesh so that, and this is where you and I are like high-fiving. We're on board, same page. So that, see, the whole point is that God did want the righteous requirements of the law to be fulfilled in us, right? So that the righteous righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. How? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, I believe the spirit being sent at Pentecost enabled those who believe in Christ and are filled with the spirit to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. But it is by the power of God working in us, as it talks about in Hebrews 13, God working in us under the new covenant. That's a new covenant reality that wasn't a reality under the old covenant. And then the rest of the passage corresponds to that contrast. That's the way I'd read that passage. Yeah. Well, the biggest reason I disagree with your interpretation of that passage, brother, is because if you don't think the Spirit enabled people to do the righteous requirements of God, which was instructed to them to do, you have a couple contradictory theological ideas. The first one would be 
why would even the father give them the requirement and expect them to do it and tell them in Deuteronomy 6.25, if you do this behavior I'm giving you, it'll be considered righteousness for you. And the second contradictory idea would be. That's multi- not a contradiction, multitude. but but go ahead with the second and I'll explain. Well, I mean, according to how most people would would say what you've just said and how you interpreted this mm-hmm. to think that if I, I can't do the requirements of behavior of righteous behavior mm-hmm. for me, unless I had the spirit of God and that only came through Jesus after Jesus ascended to his priesthood, then you've got a big question mark for everyone who in the Old Testament is called righteous. For example, we can even go to oh, Luke. righteous under that covenant. OK, yeah, but but. Keep but, going. It's, but here's the question. So you're okay. assuming that there's two different behaviors. So let's let's stick with your interpretation. And you say that going after the spirit, walking in the spirit that we get through Jesus and his priesthood. Right. What behavior would that prompt you to do? Um, what do you mean? Well, if you're, you're saying that well, I can well, only do the righteous yeah, yeah. behavior required. Of I'll, me ta- I'll tell you, spirit. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what behavior required me to, it would prompt me to do. It would prompt me to love God and love people, but it would do more than what the law does because it would have a real time power through the conviction, speaking and reality of God in my life. It would, it would, it would prompt Keegan to stop and pick up a hitchhiker in Montana named Brian so that we would one day end up talking on your YouTube channel, right? The Holy Spirit is not just a prohibition, a set of laws, a set of uh, rules outside All of those laws, yes, and amen. I'm not antinomian, but it with the Holy Spirit, we have the real person of God indwelling us who can speak to us, as Jesus says, John 10. I know my sheep, my sheep hear my voice. Sure. There is a new level of knowing and intimacy that God wants with us, and that's what the gospel is all about. It's about making true atonement at one with us. So that's the way I'd answer that. Was it a new requirement? Was it a new behavior prompted by the spirit when the good Samaritan stopped and picked up the guy on the side of the road? Uh, No, I mean, that was a parable, but no, it wouldn't have been a new. I mean, Jesus exalts him as a Samaritan, as the exemplar, which would be kind of a new concept for those he was talking to, right? Um, I just think of a, a multitude of examples in the Old Testament of, of people that exemplified that particular trait you said, as far as something that was added now that we have Christ and the Spirit through Christ. Well, um, well I, th- I think I may. Well, let me ask you this, because this may help to clarify for the viewers. What happened at Pentecost? Nothing, nothing happened. Nothing new, nothing different happened at Pentecost. What, what do you we, think happened when? When Go the ahead. spirit dropped and you should, mm-hmm. this, well, Peter explains it to us in Acts mm-hmm. 2, 32 yep. and 33, Absolutely. that he, that, that the one who's now ascended to the heavenly father, because he's stepping into his priesthood position now has access to the spirit to, to drop it on us as he did that day. Um, but we see the spirit drop on the prophets in first Samuel. Oh yeah. It even drops out, pours out onto, onto Saul. Totally. We see the spirit drop in numbers chapter 11, so much yeah. so that it pours out on the 12 elders around the tent of meeting, including Moses and Aaron, as well yeah. as two random dudes named, what are those, yeah, those guys' names? Um, um, me dad and El Dad and Me Dad, right? Those those yeah. fun names. I need to get two T-shirts that say El Dad and Me Dad. But, but those were yeah. specific. Numbers eleven. Spirit yeah. drops. Power flows out. Mm-hmm. Because why? Because Aaron had completed the sacrifice and he had done it with the right heart. Because that's what you see in the previous two chapters earlier in chapter nine of, mm-hmm. of Leviticus. This is not not numbers, but, but earlier in chapter nine of Leviticus, mm-hmm. Aaron 
says why he didn't do his faithful duties as a high priest because his heart wasn't in it. And Moses said he understands because yeah. he had just lost his two boys that day. So I would yeah. suggest to you, brother, yeah. that the reason we have such a powerful outflow of the spirit now and greater access, like I, I joked earlier, we kind of have a shortcut through Yeshua's priesthood to the spirit of God. Whereas back in the day, they needed, just like Hebrews 7 explains, they needed a frail and weak, beset with weaknesses. They needed that kind of priest yeah. to be super faithful, yeah. to do the righteous requirements mm -hmm. of the Father so the Spirit could drop. That's yeah. why in the few moments that they did do that, the Spirit mm -hmm. drops. Okay. This is why I was very precise in my question, which was, was the Spirit available in yes. the same way in the yes. Old Testament? And it was, I would but say, it required a high no, 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 priest no, no. to be faithful. No, no. I don't. It, the, you you cannot you cannot find a clear formula, as it were, in the Old Testament for who God fills with His Spirit. God does it spontaneously. God does whatever He wants, so He can fill anyone with His Spirit. It, but, you, but 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 he what, didn't have a process that He went by. Oh, He had His count the counsel of His will, which is according to His His sovereign plan and His response as he sees is, fit but hold on but let me let me let me just let me draw the distinction that is so clear in the new covenant okay and pentecost peter's sermon is a good example if you just look at how that sermon begins and ends in these last days he quotes joel 2 i pour my spirit out on all flesh mm -hmm. now how is that spirit accessible it's accessible it according crazy. Yeah, but but yeah. sticking with the text of Acts two, it, it verse is twenty thirty two and thirty three. Yeah, so it is accessible so through what the name of Jesus, so that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And they respond, "What must we do? Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." That's right? Right, right, and and that is guaranteed to all all who confess Jesus the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah, you I'm can't not... even say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. The Holy Spirit is given to everyone who is under the new covenant. And the Spirit well, wait, is... I, I would suggest you just made a big leap in logic there, as, at least a grammatical leap as far as connecting ideas. Um, because this is why I said the first contradiction like I did a minute ago. So let's. I'm trying to stick in Acts 2 and well, stay well, with the on. concept what, that what you're saying. first contradiction? Because I disagreed with that, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Which is the idea that why would God even give these instructions and call mm. them righteousness if they did them, mm. if it didn't have any power, to, if they weren't prompted by the Spirit to do them, and there was no power in them to do anything for them. Mm -hmm. All I'm trying to say is what you're saying is... You're, the you're, whole point you're is using... to reveal Christ. I'll just say that, but keep going. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 100% agree with those platitudes, brother. Those are your respectful. It's not are... a platitude. It's what Paul believed. That no, no, I'm law... saying those. what you're doing is you're describing huge concepts. I'm not talking platitudes. Hold on. That was a little bit offensive. I'm not I'm not trying to throw out platitudes. I'm talking about actual expositions. So let's let's well, me, with me the too. This yeah. is this is what okay. I'm saying in Acts yeah. chapter two. Peter, who already knew what Yeshua was prophesied to come and do. Yeah. He explains this even in his epistle, uh, second epistle later, as he tries to exemplify that we will be made priests and kings with Yeshua, who's 100%. been made a priest and king. Yep. The whole writer of Hebrews explains to us that the name of Yeshua that you referenced, the one mentioned that Peter references in Acts chapter 2, is not just his phonetic sounding name. The word in Greek and Hebrew for name means authority. Oh. I totally. You, so the I don't point of think the, I don't think Jesus is a name you can use in an incantation. Right. So the, the authenticity. Saying, yeah. Okay. The reason I'm saying all this is because 
the, the, we hear this all the time, like in the name of Jesus, you're saved. Yes, 100 percent. But how does that actually work? Well, well, According you start well, you have to start with the text and mm -hmm. you go yes. to a text like Romans 10, for example. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord okay. and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be okay. saved. Now, so we can't I would just say we can't discredit what the Bible actually says about confessing with our mouth. Now, only never, God never knows. Never tried to discredit it. Brother. Okay, but what I'm saying is like, I'm starting with the text, not some big concept. We start with the text and go out from there. This is about context, right? Let's yeah, so you the, start the with first... you start with a context, you start with a text and then deal with the context, right? Otherwise, we're just talking big narrative, correcting so, narratives, right? right. So let's, and I, I was okay. trying to address the text that you mentioned in Acts 2 okay. that Peter mentions being saved by calling on the name of Jesus. And repent and, so therefore, and be the, baptized one, and you one second, will. Brother, I'm trying to actually answer your question. Okay. Yeah. So the idea of addressing the text is yep. you have to understand what the meaning of the words are. So when you use a term like calling on the name of Yeshua or Jesus, I'm asking, do you understand that that means his authority as a priest? That's what was given to him. That's how he judges us. Um, That's how he raises well, us to life. Well, That's how I he would, makes atonement for us. Well, hold on. Back up, back up, back up. Time up. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree that the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament, the name of Jesus in the New Testament. I don't necessarily disagree that it represents his authority, but I wouldn't, I, I would not restrict it to that. It also, I would add, always represents his identity and his presence. The name of God is always associated, obviously, just like any ordinary name, with an identity, a distinct identity. In other words, God's not just Elohim. God is not just a God, right? God has a name. He has a particular identity. He is this God and not that God. And I think that's important. It may play into the discussion, but it also represents his presence. So, for example, when uh, he says to Solomon that he will put his, he has chosen the place to put his name and his presence might dwell there. He's talking about right. the temple, right? I, I do. And you, you know the process of the temple, how the priesthood ministered in the temple and created judgment. They had the breastplate. The totally. urine and the thuming, yep, literally for judgment, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> this is yeah. this is why they were the highest authority. Exodus chapter yeah. twenty-eight, and also in Leviticus chapter eight, Aaron yeah. is crowned, yeah, because he is as a high priest. He's in ultimate authority over the people. We also see this, and they're they're specifically it's not only supposed to teach the instructions of Yahweh to the people, but also render judgment before the people. Mm -hmm. This is why when we're brought into the Melchizedek priesthood at the resurrection, we're ruling and reigning with Yeshua because we step okay. into a priesthood. Yeshua is uh, already in that priesthood. Mm -hmm. So he already, as Hebrews 1 explains to us, he already has a name above all names, Hebrews 1.5. Mm -hmm. He has an authority above all authorities that goes on to expound even above the angels. He has an authority mm -hmm. above all things, heaven and earth. He's, you know, Matthew 11, Matthew 28, 19, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. That's because mm -hmm. he's prophesied before he showed up in the womb of Mary. He was prophesied to become a priest, Psalm 110, 1 through 4, in the order of Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A high priest specifically. Yeah. So, so this I, is why when yeah, someone okay. calls on the name of that position, mm -hmm. that position has to have some sort of process that affects the result you're looking for. People are looking for, just like you would go in the Old Testament in Leviticus 16, the high priest yeah. would receive the sins of the people of Israel and make atonement for them on the day of atonement. Okay. Do, just do like, you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just saying I'm explaining yeah. these ideas of the priesthood yeah. because this yeah. is what our Savior embodies at this point. This is a, this is a good, I think, a good place to 
to take the conversation because um, we can, I think, understand how each other view the law by talking about the priesthood and the sure. temple, right? We need to talk about both because I, I believe that what's from the plain words of scripture, what Peter says, for example, in first Peter two in, in Exodus 19, you remember when God gave the law to Moses, if you obey my commandments and statutes, so forth, you will be to me, a holy people, a royal priest, a people for my own possession. I take first Peter two as saying definitively it's no longer based on the same conditions as it was as it as it was in Exodus 19 when God gave the people the law. But which, now which he, verse are you going off of? Uh, we, uh, the Exodus or first Peter? Uh, first Peter, which verse are you referring to? Uh, first Peter 219, I believe. Let's see. I've got it here on the screen for us. Was it second okay. Peter 219, maybe? No. Uh first Peter 2. Um Nine. Sorry, not nineteen. Oh, my bad. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. So, so he. Uh, okay. So this. Yeah. Go ahead. This right here. Your chosen yeah. people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, yeah. people yeah. for God's own possession. Um, this is the promise in Exodus nineteen five. It's uh, well in, in in Exodus nineteen five and six. It's not in the. It's not simply in a form of a promise, but a form of a conditional promise. Right. Yeah. What's it say? If you well, what? sure. If you well, what. Same thing. If I believe in Jesus Christ, he'll take me as my people. But if I reject oh, him, no, no, he won't, right? No, but what does it say? If you what? If you Keep my obey, right? And in fact, let's, let's, let's go just there go there. Yeah, let's do that. But here's the point, though. Are, are you suggesting that God's covenant that he that he uh, established and what I would say reaffirmed in Exodus 19 through 24 on Shavuot, are you saying that that's the first time they ever received those instructions? No. Okay. It's the first time it's written in the text. It's written in, what do you mean by that? Exodus 19, 5 and 6 is the first time the words of Exodus 19, 5 and 6 are written in the Bible. No, and I'm just the, us. the concept. Uh, no, I mean, like the concept of what he's talking about. Like you're saying here, here's this, at the base of Mount Sinai. Here's this covenant moment where he brings the entire assembly before mm -hmm. the mountain, says, yep. don't touch the mountain. Yep. Um, nobody come up here. We got this, that, the, the fiery cloud at the top and the, the, yep, the booming yep. voice of the father. Um, and you've got him saying, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you should be my own possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. And you're saying this is the first time a conditional covenant offer was made. It wasn't made with anyone else before then. Um, uh, no, I'm not saying that. Obviously, okay. he made a uh, you could I, I would argue he made a conditional covenant with Adam. Okay, and and I would say the nature of the Abrahamic covenant is different, uh, not that it didn't require action, but it it's distinct uh, because it 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 was a promise of what God would do, irrespective of of Abraham's obedience. Now, Abraham, but, but didn't but, but Abraham get commended specifically for his obedience to the commandments? Specifically, oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, this is why I, I think we can get lost in the weeds if we go there, and we may not even disagree on that. But what I'm what I'm trying to do right now is hold up a contrast in Scripture between Exodus nineteen and First Peter two. Okay. In Exodus nineteen, it is if you will if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
you shall be or you will be a treasured possession among all the people for the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what I would suggest is that never was completely fulfilled because the people never did fully as a people, as a whole, keep his covenant and obey him. And when Peter says, hold on, you can you can disagree with that if you want. But when Peter says that, notice the difference when Peter says he's referencing Exodus 19 and declaring definitively after saying, by the way, you are the temple, a, a living stones built up in a spiritual dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit, which is the key difference. It's all about the Holy Spirit. That's where we disagree. But he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. So you could respond to that. Our, basically, what I'm hearing is dispensational theology. <clears throat> Would you why, why why are you why are you going to frame it in a category that I I don't even if, I'm, if, ta if that's, I, I'm talking about the text okay I hear you but, but so I'm just well because you're saying there's don't a different me as a dispensationalist to red flag me so that people say oh dispensationalist because I'm not a dispensationalist well that, don't don't tell me wrong brother that wasn't meant as a slight of any kind I'm just trying well, to I'm just trying to help me I I'm understand not what you're saying right okay then so. So then by definition, you would agree that the Father deals with mankind throughout the ages in the same way, if well, you're not a dispensationalist. Well, I'm not a dispensationalist in that I don't hold to that ism, okay? But there are, there are distinct ways that God has defined his relationship with his people under distinct covenants. And under the new covenant, the way he brings people into relationship with him is distinct, namely through Jesus Christ. And okay. that's so, why that's why we don't go through that. I mean, if we're under the old covenant, the problem I think we all face is where's our Levitical priests that we go to? Where's well, the temple? Hebrews, where's the temple? Right? Where's the temple? Hebrews uh, tries to explain well, all this to us. Okay. And and oh okay. Yeah. So yeah. It, go ahead. So uh, to, to address the question you asked me about what you read about Exodus 19 in comparison with, with 2 Peter 2.9, yeah. um, I want to put this on screen because you said when they stepped in the covenant in the Old Testament and received the instructions from Mount Sinai through Moses for the covenant behavior, which is the commandments, mm -hmm. that it did not get them to that priesthood that was promised to them. I think we no. both agree. I think we both agree on that, actually. But that's not the only thing that it said. Well, I'm just trying to focus he on said, that. He said, okay, you, no, no. He said you would be a kingdom of priests. No, this is important. I hear you. Remember, I know. I'm going to address why, it. Okay, remember, why, why did the Levites even exist? Remember what of, happened? They're part of the, the priesthood, brother. No. They're, the, the priesthood was the, given to Levi goal. in Malachi chapter 2, 4 through 7. But why, but why do the Levites exist? They exist because once... God came, or Moses came down the mountain with the commandments and found Aaron and the people worshiping golden calf. That's when plan B for the priesthood emerged. That's when Brother, he set apart the, the Levites who had to slaughter all the people. And they were yeah. then chosen. As, God wanted a whole nation of priests. And what I'm saying is under the new covenant, he has made a whole international nation of priests. Yeah. Can I respond to your question, brother? Yeah, absolutely. We're both excited and I love it. But let, you, just let me try to get a full sentence out here. Um, caveat one, Malachi two, four through seven, Levi, the descendant of the son of Jacob, 
was given the priesthood. This is why Aaron and Moses were chosen for the position. This is why it was all about the tribe of Levi to be that that was the promise of the covenant given to Levi and his descendants perpetually forever. There was not some new granting of a priesthood to the Levites, specifically Mount Sinai. Out at Mount Sinai, Aaron, specifically of his family line of the Levites, was chosen for the high priesthood position. Then all the lower, lesser priests of ministering servants, the rest of the Levites took up that position. That's the first caveat. The second one would be what I was trying to address your question earlier, which is if they were asked to do this behavior at Mount Sinai, what did it get them? And it didn't get them into the priesthood that Second Peter 2, 9 is referencing. And I would say, of course it didn't, because it was never intended to in this mortal life. You have to get to the resurrection to get to the eternal priesthood with Yeshua, the one that he stepped into. That's why he's our first fruits, our forerunner. That's why he went before us in this priesthood. It's on screen for us right here, where the Yahweh speaking to, in Leviticus, mm -hmm. speaking to the congregation through Moses. He tells them, Verse 4 and 5, you are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, that's the commandments, to live in accord with them. I am Yahweh, your Elohim, so you mm -hmm. shall keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a person follows them, then he will live by them. I am Yahweh. What do you think it means when he says, if you do my judgments, my statutes, my commandments, you'll live? What does that mean? Um, well, there are kind of layers that I would respond to that in the old under the old covenant uh you know we have hindsight's 2020 we know that ultimately that's referring to resurrection life i would argue but well, i would say that this is what paul explains to us in romans 10. oh yeah that's what i'm saying in hindsight but mm -hmm. if i'm if i'm trying to understand how they would have understood it i think they probably would have they probably would have interpreted it through the lens of like Deuteronomy 28, blessing and curses. There is a much more immediate uh, view of God's blessing and life you, under God's blessing. And under brother, the we're told we're told in Hebrews um, 11 that even all the way back to the days of Abraham, he understood God was the God of resurrection. Uh -huh. The whole point yeah, of their covenant was that as a Isaac nation, would be resurrected. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is all a part of the covenant, which yeah. is it all leads to the resurrection. This yeah, is why yeah, in the old yeah, covenant, well, I agree with that. Then Yeshua I mean, we, we fulfilled the requirements of the of the covenant, which are the commandments. He fulfilled those perfectly. He was without spot and blemish, without sin. Therefore, he literally was the first fruits of the first resurrection, because he was the only one to be perfect in doing that. And so, therefore, he gets the promise of the covenant that we're reading on screen right here, which is mm -hmm. if you do these things, these terms of the covenant I'm giving you, which. Um, you know, it's not even new. It's just a re-upping of this covenant with all those kids coming out of Egypt that had lost the ways of the father. Because Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, they knew the ways. Jacob and all his boys, when they went down to Goshen, they knew the ways of the father. They were commended for their righteous behavior of keeping the commandments in Genesis. Mm -hmm. By the time we get to Exodus, we have an entire generation that's been oppressed. And as a result, they can't even worship properly, which is doing the commandments through the priesthood that was among them, the Levites. This is why they're having this conversation with Pharaoh about we want to go worship, which was to keep Shavuot in the third month on the mountain, three days journey into the wilderness and take our animals with us to go worship appropriately. And Pharaoh kept having this weird bargaining with them to try to not let them do it fully. So therefore, the plagues had to happen to let them come out fully. All of it was to get them to this moment of Shavuot. Did you guys realize that Shavuot is an actual yearly renewal of the covenant? And that's why here with this huge congregation at Mount Sinai, all these Egypt, these Israelites that had came out of Egyptian bondage had forgotten the ways of the covenant and had to be reminded. That's why they had to be re-upped on the covenant. If you, They all raised their hands that everything you say we will do. 
always, the promise has always been of this covenant is eternal life. That if you do these, you'll live in the land of promise, you and your descendants. This is repeated back. This is expressed to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 through 22. Yeah, we don't disagree here. I yeah. mean, it's the same yeah. covenant. It's the same terms of the covenant. It's the yeah. same outcome of the covenant, which is eternal life. Yeah. So this is why, as we step into the new covenant conversation, this is why I would say, brother, the father says to mankind, mortal mankind, us in the flesh, who do not have these resurrected bodies like Yeshua has yet. Mm-hmm. He says to us, here's my covenant with you. Mm-hmm. If you do this in faith and belief, which actually literally requires some sort of action, you got you to come in here and do this in faith and belief. Do the terms of my covenant. You disciple under me because that's all we're talking about is adopting our behavior to the father's behavior. In fact, in Psalm 119, 1 through 3, Yahweh explicitly says his judgments, precepts, statutes, and commandments is his ways, his literal moral behavior. So that's why he asks us in the terms of the old covenant that we practice his behavior. Now, how much of it do we practice? I would say that's where context comes in. What applies to you? Right. If you're a woman, you're not going to be able to do the things he wrote down that apply to women. If you're not a Levitical priest, you're not going to be able to do those things because that that context doesn't apply to you. But what does apply to you? There's lots of instructions that apply to you. Right. I would I would probably say, Jeremy, you don't think that kidnapping people is okay in the new covenant, do you? Obviously, obviously not. That's Deuteronomy 24. You don't think homosexuality is okay in the new covenant? No, obviously not. That's in Leviticus 18. So I'm saying this all the same behavior. And in fact, we could go through Ephesians chapter four and First Timothy one seven yeah, uh, one yeah, through seven, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I could repeat right. all the so, Torah yeah. from from Paul's mouth. Okay, uh, I think all the moral law of the old covenant is relevant to what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's the high. I, I think the standard is actually higher because I think the standard is Jesus Christ Himself. But let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. So I'm not asking for less. I'm saying more. And thank God that it's a covenant of grace so that when we screw up, because we will, right. uh, we're not condemned in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. Peter Peter moves in 1 Peter 2, um, because how you understand temple theology probably determines how you understand the priesthood. What do you think uh, if, uh, let me ask you, do you, how do you understand our position or status right now as it relates to Peter saying that you are a royal priesthood. Do you think that's an eschatological statement? He doesn't really mean what he says. You are a royal it, priesthood. It means what he says, but this is just Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's faith speak. It's what's well, actually, a, there's actually a literary term for this in English. It's called prolepsis. Yeah, just I know like, the term. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Paul uses similes, metaphors, allegories. I mean, you know, Galatians 4, he literally tells the, the reader, I'm using an allegory. So you you take this as an eschatological reality. In other words, it's, it's, are you a priest right true. now? Are you a priest right now? I am a priest. What temple do you minister in? The body of Christ. That's a metaphor, brother. You're, you're not a stone building. You're not but bringing animals. Hold on, hold on. Month. Okay, but now you're not you're you're not we dealing should, with clear text. We should get sure. into the temple and, and no, the no, concept. But of hold on, Let, let's let's talk about temple for just a minute, and I'd love to hear how you understand it. I th- I think right. what I think what will be helpful is you understand what, from my position. I think the whole the whole movement of scripture is that God wants to be sharing in the presence of His people. He wants reconciliation, reunion, at one atonement in that real 
since that is realized ultimately by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 4, that we, or sorry, Ephesians 2, that we, the church, mm-hmm. are the temple of God, the mm-hmm. temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. I don't think, I, yes, it's a metaphor in that we're not okay, stones of brick and mortar, but yeah. we're stones, as Peter says, living, living stones. Living stones, and, 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 pillars, and here's, yeah. Right? So, and like, think about the whole movement. Beginning Genesis 1 and 2, the people of God and the place of God, enjoying the presence of God, they get exiled. They get exiled from the garden because of sin, because mm-hmm. they broke the covenant that God established with them. Exiled from the garden, God forms a nation, tells them, gives them the instructions, a blueprint, the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. They complete it, Exodus 40, the great finale, God's presence fills the temple. God's glory fills the temple. Mm-hmm. That's where he puts his name. That's why I say name and presence have to be understood sure. together. That the tabernacle, finally, they build a temple against God's better wishes, because I think God prefers a mobile home. But David (laughs) Solomon builds a temple. God's presence fills the temple. They go to exile. That temple gets destroyed. They rebuild the second temple and the climax is missing. God's presence never filled the second temple. At least it's not recorded in scripture. But Haggai, the prophet, comes and he says, in effect, the glory of this house would be greater than that of the former house because there were people weeping when they saw this, this you know, thing that wasn't near as glorious as the former temple. And what happens when Jesus comes? He is the temple. The Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Skenao, tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. Right. And then he refers to his temple as his body, John chapter two. His flesh is torn. The spirit is poured out. He referred yeah. to his body as bread and his blood as wine. So yeah, he uses metaphor a lot. Sure. Yeah, but well, but but hold on. Metaphor, I mean, we don't literally drink the blood of Christ. Okay, I agree with that. Yeah. But a metaphor doesn't mean you can just throw the term away. It's like writing it away. when when I, god says yeah. that he's going to write his the law on our hearts that's a metaphor but we don't just throw that away because it's a metaphor yeah, it means something and what hold on let me finish and then you can respond what does it mean what is the significance of the temple it's where god's law and god's presence dwelt and specifically okay. god's presence and that's the distinction now you brother if you confess christ as lord are part of the temple now yes. temple is always a, a communal term. When Paul ever Paul uses the term, it's always second person plural, which we don't pick up in English because we don't distinguish between singular and plural, second person. But we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, we are priests. We are now mediators. We are a royal so, priesthood mediating to an unbelieving world. Brother, That's I gotta I gotta I gotta jump in at this point, man. I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I've heard this all my life. I grew up in this. I You've used heard to, that? I, Yes, I used to also claim that I'm a part of, I'm a priest to God. I, I rule and reign with Christ. I literally heard that at Bible college. I also know that I'm a part of the temple of God. We sing songs about it. Um, I actually used to write worship songs, by the way, as well, and go to youth groups and stuff and travel around. And yeah, I even wrote songs with those lyrics in that. So I totally understand what you're saying, but I'm just trying to draw a distinction between the metaphoric and the literal. So I understand in a metaphoric, we can be referred to as the body of Christ, as the temple in which whom the spirit dwells in, right? Literally, we agree we're not a stone building. No, we're living stones, as Peter says. Again, metaphor. 
Right. So, but it means so what I'm saying though. is, uh, it, so it does literally mean something. Were they so does, living well, stones on, in the Old Testament? Your, yes, yes, they were. Uh, as okay. I'm trying to address your, I'm trying to address your claim, brother. You're you're wanting to use metaphor for the for the temple, but not for the priest. And then you want to just say you're a priest and and think that that's okay as well, and that you literally mediate to the Father, brother. That's a no, literal no, 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 job. No. No. You just said it. No, no, we mediate to the world. How as witnesses of Christ. Peter well, that's, calls that's not mediation, brother. That's a not royal scriptural. priesthood. I hear you. What I'm saying, though, is what you're describing as far as us being ambassadors and to reconcile people to Christ. That's not the job of a priest, specifically in the word that you're using, like Yeshua in 1 Timothy 2, 5, who mediates in his priesthood on behalf of mankind to God. It's a literal technical definition of a word for a literal technical job position. Yeshua has that job position, a priest mediated between sinful people and a holy, righteous God. You are not in that priesthood yet. You are proleptically going to be in that priesthood through faith, because when you get resurrected by the power of Yeshua at the resurrection, you then are brought into that priesthood to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. So, but metaphorically, you can believe you're in that priesthood all day long, but literally you cannot go minister like a priesthood in a temple and actually create propitiation well, before the yeah. mercy seat like a true priest. Uh, okay, I get, I got you. So, so, but here's the problem. Because you refuse to take scripture at its word and say... That's, that's, no, misfair, that's very mis unfair characterization. No, no, no. Well, but here's the thing. The, the concept of priesthood, us being a royal priesthood and us being a temple are have to be held together. And if you're mm -hmm. saying that in the Old Testament, they were living stones in the same way we are, you're ignoring the plain movement of text that moves from temple structure to no temple structure. In There's fact, still a the veil being torn is the whole climax of this Temple That's, collision. What what verse tells you the veil caused what you're claiming theologically? Because I'm going to go to where we do still have a temple and a priest mediating in that temple for us. Okay. Well, first of all, there's multiple references. I know you're going to go to Hebrews 10, which is the ultimate, and we need do need to go there. But the the but but we, we have to stay on this for just one second because you're saying that first of all, you arbitrarily are choosing by your authority that yes, that, that Peter's not talking about present tense, even though it's written in the present tense, you're saying that's proleptic. You're saying that's a future reality. I can't hear. I can't hear. We, hey brother, I'm brother. I'm saying the definitions oh, of the words tell us he's not speaking literally about you and I as, as disciples of Yeshua, the definitions of the words, we can't just ignore those. What are you talking about? First Peter two, nine. What do you mean? He, he's not talking about us. You're, you're not a literal priest yet. Oh, but see, this is where you and I disagree. I And here's how, I'd, here's how I would explain it. I begin with the text, not a bigger idea, but the text. And the text says you are a royal priesthood. And so I ask myself, well, how does that make sense? It makes sense because we're not under the old covenant that demands a temple and the Levitical priests. We are under the new covenant in which we are the temple by the Holy yeah. Spirit that dwells within us. Yeah. In the same way that the Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwelt in the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. See, that's the significance. And that's the difference. Hey, respectfully, that's um, that's your interpretation, whereas okay. you're trying to make yourself metaphorically a priest in your metaphoric temple. To I'm, not, I'm just reading the text. No, no, no. Hang I'm on, hang on. I'm, 
you, you got to let me finish the statement so you don't yeah. get misunderstood what I'm saying. Okay. So you're taking the metaphor and applying them both as a metaphorical priesthood and a metaphorical temple, mm-hmm. but ignoring the literal application of an active temple where we have a high priest ministering for us to create atonement propitiation. And you are not in that temple. Well, well I, I am... I'm reading it right here on screen. Let's yeah, okay. let's go to the let's, scriptures. Okay, because, let's go to Hebrews 8. Let's do that. Yeah. We're right here in the scriptures, NASB, Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. He just spent two, three chapters expressing the differences in the priesthoods. Yeah. We have such a high priest, that's Yeshua, who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister, that means a servant, a priest, in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord set up and not man. Okay. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. That's Leviticus 1 through 7. So it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, Mm -hmm. if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest at all. Just like you're not a priest on earth because you're not a Levite. Since there are those who offer gifts according to the law, that's the Levites. Mm -hmm. And Yeshua, if he were here on earth and outside of the New Jerusalem, he would not be a priest. He has the, the only your priesthood that first Peter two nine is referring to in Revelation 20, verse four through six is referring to is only applicable in the land of promise that you inherit as a result of the covenant where you get eternal life and you inherit the new Jerusalem. And that's the kingdom of heaven <laughs> okay. that you actually live in and are minister as a priest. The text literally tells us right okay. now, Yeshua was above us in the tabernacle in heaven, yeah. ministering in his priesthood. And if he were down here on the earth with us, he would not be a priest. OK, let me ask you this. What temple are we going to minister at in the New Jerusalem? There is well, no temple. That's you know, the whole point. Let's go check it out. It's in Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Verse 22. I actually did an entire, no entire video on this. Um, as always, one of the ways I teach the audience to look for context is not just the definition of the word, but look up the original language. That It can yeah. help you a lot. Yeah. So if we actually go to the original language of what it says, there's no temple in the New Jerusalem. And let's let's go through uh, analysis of the Greek text. I've got my Greek text out. Yeah. All right. He says, "And temple." Mm-hmm. Not on. Yep. 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 Look well, right here. A temple, a shrine, the part of the temple where God Himself resides. Do you know what that part was in the Old Testament? The Holy of Holies. That's right. And why does the text tell us there'll be no Holy of Holies in the New Jerusalem? Because he just measured the city and it was a perfect cube. And I believe that the Holy of Holies has been universalized because the presence of God, there is no more partition between God's presence. It literally tells us on screen right here, brother. It says it qualifies the statement in the rest of the verse. For the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb, that's two people, Mm -hmm. are its Holy of Holies are its nails. Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah. A, that's precisely the point. So, brother, the point of what I'm saying is. Yeah, that's the point. There is now no. The, no so there how is are you t- going to no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's, there's a Holy of Holies mm-hmm. in the Old Testament temple. Yeah. The, the New Jerusalem says there's not yeah. a Holy of Holies. Why? Because what was the difference? The, the shrine area, the place where there was no father and son in the Old Testament tabernacle. It was an mm-hmm. empty room with the Ark of the Covenant. The new t- Revelation 21, 22 is telling you, well, there is no empty room anymore. There is no shrine mm-hmm. because a shrine is a representation. It's an empty place that represents a God. 
-hmm. This is telling us there is no shrine because that place is filled with the Father and the Son. Mm -hmm. And we have seven chapters in Ezekiel 40 through 47 expressing to us the temple in the mm -hmm. New Jerusalem. Yeah. Let, let me just, let's clarify. Did you hear what things. I said, brother? Uh, yeah, totally. The, the palace that's called the yeah. palace in he, Ezekiel 40 through 43 also references the Bainth in the Hebrew temple in the English translation. All the, the, the bronze altar, the, the place where they were, the boiling sea, everything that was in the Levitical and Solomon's temple mm -hmm. is in the New Jerusalem, New Kingdom temple. Ezekiel 47, 12, the river, yeah, yeah, yeah. the river of life is even flowing mm -hmm. from that place. Mm -hmm. That is the temple, but there is no holy holies in that place because. Hold on. But I, yeah, but the naas in Greek, every time it's used, is translated temple. There is no. I just showed you the definition, brother. I'm looking at a concordance yeah. on my computer. Every single time naas or temple is used in the. In, you can't see it, so there's no point. I put it on the screen. Look at it. Look at it. There's no, what's the word for temple then? If it's not naos, I just, I just I just went over this. I'm not sure if you're watching. What's the Greek word for temple? Uh, it's, if it's right here on screen. It's right here on screen. The Greek word naos. Strong yeah. 3485. Yeah, that's yeah. the word for temple. You just said it's the word for holy of holies. You answered me and said it's the word for holy of holies because you're right. It's the part of the temple where God Himself resides. Right, but it's always translated temple in general, right? I guess I'm not. I guess I'm not sure what your point is. But the <laughs> the point is, the Father and the Son, are no, there doesn't have to be an empty room with the Holy of Holies as an empty room with the Ark of the Covenant anymore. Now, it's it's filled, right? It's the seat of authority that the Father and the Son actually reside in those seats. Okay, but you you started this discussion by saying, how are you literally a priest mm -hmm. if you don't have a temple? And you, and you said, said, hold on, and you said you're only proleptically a priest and you'll be able to be a priest mm -hmm. in the new Jerusalem. Well, in right. the new Jerusalem, the father and the son are the temple. And so now we're Brother, literally that, you, priests you just, without a literal temple. I just went over the definition of that word with you. It, it says in the new Jerusalem, there's no empty room, the Holy of Holies. There's no shrine room. That's what that word means. There's no shrine room for no, the father and the son are no, there. No, I disagree with that. Because we have seven full yeah. chapters in Ezekiel that express to us the dimensions, the layout, and all the details yeah. and furniture of the temple in the New Jerusalem, the land of promise, with the river of life and the trees that grow along the river of life, whose leaves will be used for the healing of the nations, matching Revelation yeah. 22, 5. All so, of that is there. There so, is it because the, the, well, this is where Yeshua is literally ministering that mm -hmm. I read to us in Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Mm -hmm. The true mm -hmm. tabernacle that Yahweh built, not mankind. So what you're saying is, there is a temple in the New Jerusalem, and it and you can find it if you go back to Ezekiel. That's what you're saying. It's I, it was in. <laughs> let me go back to the scripture real quick. I just read it. It mm -hmm. was in Hebrews chapter eight, mm -hmm. one through five. This is all I was trying to say. Hebrews chapter eight, one through five, and we also see it in Hebrews eleven and twelve. So it says right here. Main point's this. Everything that's been said is that we have such a high priest who's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Do you guys know? And, you know, that was the Ark of the Covenant, the, the seat of the mercy seat, the seat of power, the seat of the of the ruler. Well, the you know? seat, mercy seat was over the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. Yep, but that was metaphorically where Yahweh would have sat if he could dwell amongst the flesh yeah. of mankind. Uh, yes. Yes. Right. Right. Yep. But we can't. We have to get our resurrected bodies in order to be near him. Yes. Just like, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. We have really? to. We have to. Hold on. We have to get our resurrected bodies to be near Yahweh, the Father. You don't believe in the Trinity, I take it then, right? 
we can probably set up a whole nother night if you want to go <laughs> okay, yeah. Trinity versus yeah. Well, it just helps for understanding. Like, uh, I don't think Yeshua believed in the Trinity, to be honest with you, brother. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So that that <laughs> makes that makes it that makes sense why why there's a disconnect in in our understanding of the whole the whole the whole relevance and significance of the presence of God being newly available in Christ by the Spirit. I think See, I believe, be I believe there is a new a new reality possible in Jesus Christ in in participation in the divine life through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you have greater in a, in access a, to the Spirit because of Yeshua. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, that's what I've been saying since the beginning. But what I have, what would be a what is the tonight, Spirit? Brother? Yeah, one second. What well, it would be really a shame tonight, brother, if I put all these scriptures on screen. And then we didn't run with the words that are actually being said. To oh, us let's screen. do it. So let's go. So that's why I have and, it on and, screen. And why don't we do it in light of the question? Are we in the new covenant? Right. That's that's, where that's we what are. we are fleshing out. Okay, absolutely. let's do. That's why Hebrews you asked 8. about. I tried to say to you that you don't get to your priesthood literally until you're in the new covenant. And you said, what tabernacle would I be ministering in? I'm showing mm -hmm. you one right here, not on the ground that Yeshua is able to minister in in heaven above mm -hmm. that you and I can't minister if there was one on the ground if this was 2000 years ago before the temple was destroyed by the romans we you and i couldn't walk in there if we're not levites and minister mm -hmm. and we're not appointed um mm -hmm. neither could yeshua mm -hmm. this this text in front of us brother is literally telling us that okay. after yeshua was resurrected before he ascended and those days that he spent showing himself to over 500 people on the earth he could not walk into the temple and minister because he was not a priest of that order. He was of a different order. And the temple mm -hmm. that he was supposed to minister in was in heaven above. It was the father's temple in heaven above. The same one as this very verse tries to tell you, the one on the ground was patterned after the mm -hmm. one in heaven. Mm -hmm. That's literally why it has this verse from Exodus 26 in here to tell you, Yeshua was ministering in this tabernacle above made by God. This is the yeah. one they pattern after in the, in the desert on the ground. Mm -hmm. There is a tabernacle standing where a high priest is ministering on your behalf, you're promised to go into the same priesthood order as that high priest ministering on your behalf. There is mm -hmm. no theological or textual way you are actually a literal priest right now. You can proleptically yeah. and metaphorically, you can be a priest all you want. You see, that, and we disagree, and it has everything to do with the Holy Spirit, okay? But but let's stick to this discussion about covenant. And, and, and what I would say is what I want to respond to your interpretation of these verses um, I take when it says that the uh, that the law and the and the sanctuary, right? He refers to the um, Moses receiving the blueprints for the temple or sanctuary, uh, the uh, the blueprints, uh, and then he refers to the law as a copy or shadow of heavenly things, right? I take that to mean that we needed a, a kind of uh, embodied, enfleshed, uh, brick and mortar um, uh, sign or copy or shadow, as he says, to understand heavenly realities. Now, what I don't think is that there's a space called heaven, like that contains God in a, in a literal temple of brick and mortar uh, that, that, that this earthly tabernacle literally is just a, a copy of in another kind of universe. Is that what you think? Is that how would you describe the heavenly reality of which this is just a type or shadow? 
Sure. And Keegan, this is what I was talking about on the phone the other day. How our our logo for the channel has all these themes involved in it. And a part of that is the covenants, the, the son of the father, that's the Trinitarian theme, the, the return of the Messiah, the new Jerusalem, all of it, the priesthoods. Because what, what uh, our brother Jeremy is asking us right now is about to blend into what my shirt says. And I wore this intentionally tonight. Because this comes up every single time you start talking about Hebrews 8 with someone who does not want to take the words for what they say, which is, where is this tabernacle that Yeshua is ministering? Is it just an allegory to express a heavenly concept that's not really happening? Or is it literal? Genesis 1, 6-8, the firmament that God created, he created multiple firmaments. In Genesis 1, 1, he created the heavens and the earth. Then he starts to fill out the earth in verses 2 through 31. Verses 6 through 8, he makes the firmament encapsulating us where we live, which is he directly names the heaven. This structure, the firmament, he gives a name in Genesis 1, 6 through 8, and he calls it the word Shamayim, the heaven. Mm -hmm. Because it's this structure that is the rakia in the Hebrew that is physically defined as the visible arch of the sky, a solid expanse, divides the waters that were above from the waters that what were below and, and then receded and became the seas, what we would generically call our oceans today. So this, I jokingly call myself a fundamentalist because there's over 500 verses in the scriptures that refer, mention, describe, or use an application, the firmament that's introduced in Genesis 1. That's why I'll put back on screen here in Hebrews 4.14, it's also mentioned. And if we go to explaining Yeshua and his priesthood, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, that's multiple layers, just as mm -hmm. Genesis 1, Psalm 148, Deuteronomy 10, 14, and a whole bunch of other places express. This is a physical structure that he passes through the firmaments, the heavens, to get to where this tabernacle is to do his job. Oh, so do you think Yahweh is contained, contained within heaven, a place called heaven. If he, if he, if he wanted to be, he could be, if he didn't want to be, he didn't have to be. He's, okay. he's created it. Clearly he has mastery over his creation. The point is, what does he tell us that he actually created? What did, what is his words defined for us? Right. That's, well, that's and what see, we should what, go by. What I would say is you are arbitrarily choosing what is metaphorical and what's not. And you're acting as like, I'm not taking the words of scripture as literally, but you are taking them literally. And because you're saying, you're saying, well, this is rough, it's just a, it's just a metaphor that we're a temple and you can't actually examine what the metaphor implies. The metaphor implies that the Holy spirit dwells in us in a way that God's presence dwelt in the old Testament temple. That's the obvious way that you understand the why that metaphor is implied. Okay. But now when we talk about... Let me challenge you on that. Let, you, let me challenge okay. you on that, okay? Love Please me. do. If you think in the metaphor that you're imposing, which I agree it's a metaphor, but how you take the extent of that metaphor is where we start running into some you know, problems here, right? So if you think that the, the, the metaphor of the temple, of us being the temple, is so that the Holy Spirit can act in us the same way it did in the temple in the Old Testament, that's what you just exactly said, right? Not act in us, dwell in us. In other dwell words, in us. okay, same thing. That's, because no, what's going to happen? The same thing. It is because I'm about to explain. The Holy Spirit, the, the temple was not an animate object. We are, so it's not the same thing. The Spirit of God, who dwelt in the Old Testament temple, both in the, the desert and the one that Solomon built. If you, as an individual, were not clean according to the instructions that you had to be, and came before that place, you could break out in plague and possibly oh, yeah. die. 
yet you're trying to say now those rules don't apply to you and the Holy Spirit can still move in you in the same way it did back then. And you don't even have to abide by those rules. You can be unclean. You could have. Oh, no, that, that's not what I said. Oh, Romans what? 8, 1 through 4. For the law, the spirit of light has set us free from yeah, that, the law. That's, and it, there's that's, no you condemnation. Just, you, you no, are, that's not condemnation. we are made that, clean in brother, Christ. Brother, the cleanness that I'm referring to, the literal definition of those terms in the Old Testament, Leviticus 13, 14, and 15, that all of Israel, even Moses and Aaron, all the priests were required to undergo a physical obedience of lifestyle in order to step near the presence of God in the temple. Otherwise, yeah. bad things would happen. And this is the beauty of the gospel, but keep going. Brother, this is what I'm saying. This is where yeah. you're taking the application of the gospel that Yeshua. You, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to put it any plainer than Hebrews 8 on screen, but you're taking the application of what is actually happening on behalf of your atonement through your high priest. And you're metaphorizing it so that you can be in that spot. I didn't. And, Peter did. Yeah. All I'm trying to say is you're in a position now where you have no physical temple that you have to right. abide by those physical cleanliness laws to step next to the physical power and presence of God. Because that the can, presence I, and me, power of God has entered into us by I, the Holy I agree Spirit. with you. It's called the deposit. It's in Hebrews 8. Yeah, I agree with you, brother. All I'm trying to say is there's a difference in the application, just like there was people who had not cleansed themselves in the Old Testament, and also the Spirit dropped on them in a moment. But there's a difference in a minister, an actual priest who has to go through cleansing to step near the power of God in which a what, physical temple. Which is that's what baptism why, is all about. Okay, that's why I said in the beginning, when you asked, is there any example of the Holy Spirit doing what it did in Acts 2 in the Old Testament? I said, there's lots of them. But you didn't want me to bring up those verses. Because there is lots, there's no, a difference in the application. What's well, Numbers 11, 1 Samuel 12, a whole bunch of other plays. There's a difference in the application of the Spirit of God, the power of God to effect change, falling on someone's life versus a priest who has to undergo specific ritualistic cleansing in order to have his mortal flesh be near the physical power of God's Spirit in a yeah. temple setting. Sorry. Yeah, so we're ignoring that. all the context of the Old Testament temple. No, definitely we're in not. In order for yeah, us I mean, to take yeah. the metaphor to where yeah. you want to take it and say oh, that no. you're already a priest ministering in a temple. Let me jump in. I, Let me I jump gave in. you a whole temple overview. I could have talked about it for two more hours. Let's, I'm not ignoring it. But go ahead, Keegan. What's up, Keegan? So I want to lay out some concepts of the Holy Spirit, and then I want to kind of hear your, your thoughts on that. So sure, my understanding is the Spirit of God only dwelled in the Holy of Holies in the, in the old covenant. That covenant was a way that God could dwell among his people, but because they were an unrighteous people and he was a righteous, holy God, he needed this covenant that, that required a blood sacrifice of a spotless lamb in, in order to be abiding in that covenant so that he could dwell with them. Right. And if, and, and as you're saying, according to that law, if the high priest in the old covenant had any sin or he'd messed up. He literally had a rope tied to him. So if he was in the Holy of Holies and croaked, they'd yank him out by the rope because he couldn't walk on his own means and no one else wanted to die. Sure. So, sure. so I, I don't, I don't believe that that requirement of holiness has changed in the new covenant. Cause as you were saying before, you do see the Holy spirit come upon people in in, in moments in the old covenant, but then it, you see <clears throat> the Holy spirit poured out. As it talks about in Joel 2.27 in the New Covenant, but the reason I believe that same requirement of righteousness still stands is because God's presence could not dwell in us without us exploding, like spontaneously bursting into flames, like an incubus song. 
<laughs> without the reality of his righteousness being imparted to us and that we died with him in his death, as Romans 6 says, and that we're raised with him currently in his resurrection, that we are okay. actually seated with him in heavenly places. So, Brother, are you literally, though? Well, well, that's what Paul that's what Paul said. This is what I'm this is all too. I've been trying to say, guys. This is yeah. all I've been trying to differentiate. Well, 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 but here's the is difference. Do you, you believe a in a firm church? It's that, no, it sounds like uh, you've created a kind of dualism or beyond that. So no, that, brother. No, that's well, a Gnostic well, term. That's a Gnostic idea. Okay. Right. Well, you believe that there, that. I believe in, the scriptures and what they say according to their definitions and the words. Okay. Used. Well, that's if you I'm believe, saying, so. if you believe that, then you wouldn't be like. Just like dismissing what Keegan just said. No, it's what, I, I hold on. It's what Paul says in well, Ephesians one and two. He says that you that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and you are seated with Him in heavenly places. Now you can just dismiss it because there's been a lot of dismissing. But but what but does it ways, actually mean? What does it actually mean? Yes, that what you're does it mean? seated and yeah, that you so, are. I'm, is that I proleptic too? Is so, that yeah, I would, I would love to hear what you think it means that you're seated with Christ right it, now. Here's what it means in my understanding. Okay. And because Paul goes on to say throughout Ephesians 2, I mean, that introduces the discussion of why we are a dwelling place of God by the Holy Spirit. It means that we in Christ by the Spirit are in communion with God which is why we can pray to God according to the way Jesus prayed as our father. The sonship of Jesus is given to us. We've been given the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right. So, That's right. And, and I would say like there is. In other words, we're not separated from the God, from God as we were in the condition of our sin. This is why and this is why in July of 1997, you had a dramatic encounter with God mm -hmm. that changed your whole I feel I feel he dropped right. his spirit on me for a moment there yeah 100 yeah. uh, percent for a moment it's left and so this is oh, you, know, you know what I'm saying you know what I'm okay saying, good, good I already good. already admitted Hebrews 8 we have the deposit and I actually have it on screen here as well uh Paul in the furthering context of what you keep quoting from Ephesians 2 um this is Ephesians 2 by the way uh this is Ephesians 1 actually um it says that we have this first installment right because we've been believed in him sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the first installment of our inheritance in regard well, to the redemption of God's own possession. Yeah. What is the rest of that inheritance, brother? Well, hold on. I, I what does it say in Greek? Let me look at my Greek text actually. Uh, because uh, what translation is that? It's the NASB. Um, the because I think it's deposit, right? But I would say just what's, to answer what's the, your, yeah, semantic, to answer semantics, your, brother? What's the rest of the deposit? Yeah, well, I think the rest of the deposit is our glorification. Oh, yeah, okay. is our glorification. So then what is that? So like I said before, what scripture tells you that you are literally sitting next to Yeshua in judgment over other people, which is what a priest oh, no, would no. be? No, no, I, I don't. This think is why I'm saying you're judgment. using terms and not using their definitions, brother. I'm lovingly trying to express this I, this whole time. Well, you're you're lovingly being dismissive right now. No, I'm not. I'm it, asking yeah, about specific it, passages on screen. I, we start with scripture, then we define the terms. Okay, so Ephesians one, we are, we are seated with him, in heavenly places. Now you you start with what's there, and then you have to explain what does it mean. Now I obviously it, see the reason you can't you can't just take that as what it says is because you believe 
that God is in a different location up here in a place called heaven. But what does it say in where, what does it say in heaven? second? What does it say in in Second Chronicles? In Who is able to build a house for God and for the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain Him? You think God's sure, contained sure. in no, a heaven? I already, already explained that. He explained what he made. He doesn't have to be contained in it, but that's yeah. what he made for everything, to, for this story to unfold. Totally. So I'm going to take his descriptions of what he made, and I'm going to go with those according to their definitions used in context. Okay. And he and, and, if, you, and, and I got to address this because I've never heard this yeah. before. I'm kind of blown away. Keegan, did you just say that heaven is in us? I believe when the kingdom of God came with Jesus and that the Holy Spirit dwells in us because he made us righteous and holy vessels. So then you're seated in your own side, inside yourself. That doesn't my, represent what <laughs> my thought process, but so, so my, my belief is that the spirit of God is in us yeah. and that we are also seated in heavenly places. So I believe the kingdom of heaven it, because God is in heaven and he is in us, there's part of us there and there's part of him here. And I don't think that his presence can be bound to the dimensional understanding that we have. Do you okay, do you so think is, heaven is, is a physical place? Yeah, 100%. So is the kingdom of heaven. This is why Yeshua talked okay, about this, it so much. This, this is where is we why disagree. Sure. Yeah. So you guys want to take what's, and, and lovingly, I'm not trying to put you in a box with labels. Mm -hmm. This is historically what it came from the second century. And then it, and it kind of branched into a lot of Catholic teaching and philosophy. It's called Gnosticism, that heaven, heaven is not a, a physical, literal place, but instead is an ethereal, non-tangible, extra dimension that no one can seemingly define. Called the firmament or what? No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's exactly is defined. what you're describing. No it's, no, it's not. That is defined okay. for us, brother. It's defined. I gave you the Rakia Hebrew definition earlier. It's in Genesis 1. It's in a whole bunch of other verses. Uh, that has a strict definition to it, and it's used in application of the kingdom of heaven, an actual okay. kingdom, coming down to the earth to create peace on the earth. So when Jesus came and said it. that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Right. And was he saying that a place or was he pointing to himself as a person? He was pointing to his behavior. And as he told his disciples in Luke 10 and Matthew 10, go out, heal the people. Don't take any money with you. Cleanse the lepers. You know, do your thing. As he give you authority to go out and do this, he then says, and tell them the kingdom of God has come upon you. Right. The same thing as saying the kingdom of God is at hand. So the point is the behavior that they had been discipled in. That's why they're called disciples. And he says in, in Matthew, Matthew 9, after he had taught them, he sent them out. So after they were discipled, he then sends them out to go do these wonderful things amongst the cities of Samaria. And when they do, they're told to tell them the kingdom of God has come upon you because they're doing the behavior of the kingdom. As Yeshua exemplifies when he mentions this multiple places, then he says the kingdom of God has come upon you or is at hand. But then he gives metaphors and parables about the literal physical kingdom of God that descends to the ground. We see a great explanation of that in Revelation and mm -hmm. also in Isaiah and in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. We get wonderful depictions of a literal physical piece of land. It's literally the inheritance I mentioned earlier. And I said, what's the rest of the inheritance? Because we're resurrected and glorified and taken to our land of promise. That's a physical, literal place. You're not, brothers, respectfully, you're not taken, you're not resurrected and then taken back into yourself. Like that is literally uh, in, it, it, incompatible. No one, no one thinks that. That's okay. a misrepresentation. Yeah. Well, that's what the, I was. The, uh, that's the question. The direct question I asked him was getting out of go. So, okay. I'm just so trying to understand where yeah, you guys are coming yeah. so from, you, and what I'm hearing okay. is you're yeah. coming from a very philosophical, interpretive stance that takes all the literality out of Scripture. Even when I put words on the screen and I say, "Look, what temple and tabernacle is this referring to?" And you're like, "Oh, it's 
We are well, the temple. And, and I'm like, I no, mean, Jesus yeah, is. Yeah, and I and I would just say you are not taking the literal words of the text, and you're taking a very esoteric. That's, that's the complete opposite of, of what I've been saying. Okay, well, I mean, it's just, it's no different. I mean, you're, you are choosing what to take literally and what to take metaphorically. And we all have to interpret the text. It's not like we're all going to come to it and come to the exact same conclusion. But I would say you are, your interpretation is, is, no, it's, it's not what you think. Esoteric. Uh, okay. Be, be, well, I don't know how I don't know how going by definitions of words and trying to keep them in the context of the past, right? Like that, that doesn't mean anything. That's not a thing. That's just a joke. No. All I'm trying to say is if I'm taking the script, the definitions of words in scripture, and I'm trying to apply them in the context. That's exactly of, what I'm doing. That's not esoteric, brother. That's literal reading comprehension. No, no, your conclusions are esoteric, not your intent. I how think you're taking the is definition good. of a word esoteric. The, but but that but well when you put when you phrase it like that it's obviously not I'm saying the conclusions you're coming up with I mean they just seem they what seem is, so foreign esoteric just means kind of idiomatic uh, sure uh, unique since, right it's like it, it's obviously covenant. it's obviously not it, it's it doesn't it doesn't fit into a common understanding you would ad admit that I don't mean it in a derogatory way. I just mean it, and it's like, it's like you are under no, no counsel. You just you're taking Brother. your interpretation. That's huge your assumptions you're making right there. Look, I don't know how to. I've, I've, I'll be honest with you, brother. I've I've never spoken with someone where I literally give definitions of words in the scriptures, and I get, I'm being told that I'm not taking them for what they say. I've been called too literal, and if you were to be saying that, then I'd be like, okay, you can believe that. That's fine. But to, I don't think but you're literal enough. I think you're, okay. you're literal so, when you want to be and metaphorical when you want to be. All right. Let me uh, let me ask you this. Let me let just me, ask you what you think about your to the original question. What, if we are if we are not under a new covenant, can you just? I would just love to hear you explain Hebrews eight through ten and you know in whatever capacity you want to. Oh sure. Eight yeah. through thirteen, really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I love Hebrews eight thirteen. Oh, I said eight, Hebrews eight through thirteen. I was talking about the chapters, but and by the way, I I I don't want this to come off as offensive. I'm having a really good time. This is a joy to me. So yeah, yeah. no, it is too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I I just have to, you know, when you know when I'm when I'm when I'm yeah. trying to do my due diligence and present words and definitions, and I'm being told I'm being spiritual or esoteric. I I struggle to understand how you're making those connections. But I'm going to put this on screen, and I'm going to show you right here. Mm -hmm. And when he said, that's Yahweh speaking, because he just quoted Jeremiah 31. And when he said, a new covenant, by the word, that word covenant's not in the original text. That's actually inserted, which is why it's in italics in the NASB. But when he said, a new covenant has been made, a, a, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is about to disappear. So the writer of Hebrews is writing this letter after Yeshua ascended to do his ministry and duty in the tabernacle of heaven. After Yeshua ascended and resurrected. And he's telling us point blank. <laughs> if the, the, this current covenant, and, and by the way, I, the reason why I think he's wording it like this is because he's literally speaking about his body. Because you don't get to the new covenant until you get your new body. Mortal flesh, old covenant, new covenant, glorified flesh. Very simple. 
And that's why he says we're here. A new when and when Yahweh said a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. So, brother Brian, does or excuse me, Jeremy, does that mean he made the the old covenant obsolete in Jeremiah 31 when he said this statement? Say that again. Yeah, ask that again. Sorry. Let's look at the first part of this verse. I just didn't hear you. Okay. Yeah. So when so the writer of Hebrews is repeating Jeremiah. 31 verses right, 31, 33 and 34. 31 through 34, yeah. And then when he gets to verse 13, he's making commentary about those verses from Jeremiah he just spoke. And mm -hmm. he says, and when Yahweh said a new covenant, quotations, mm -hmm. Yahweh has made the first obsolete. Mm -hmm. So are we to assume from your understanding of uh, that we must be in the new covenant right now, that the old covenant was made obsolete the moment Yahweh spoke this in Jeremiah's day? No. Okay, I would agree with you, right? Okay. So therefore, we know we know that there's things that are spoken that don't come to fulfillment until all the mm -hmm. pieces are in place. Okay. But you can speak about them, and just like the writer of Hebrews is speaking about them in this moment as, well, the moment he mentioned to Jeremiah the prophet that he was going to do a new covenant, he made the first one obsolete. But that didn't happen mm -hmm. in Jeremiah's day. Yeshua was still no. 700 years away. Yeah. And then, and and then was, the rest yeah. of that passage says, but whatever's becoming obsolete, that's a present tense, whatever's becoming obsolete. This is written approximately 40 years after, or excuse me, 30 years after Yeshua sins. Whatever's mm -hmm. becoming obsolete is growing old and about to disappear. Mm -hmm. And all the context of this is speaking about the new covenant promised in Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. Mm -hmm. So the writer of Hebrews in the first century AD, after Yeshua resurrected and ascended to the Father, is telling us that the old covenant is still growing old and about to disappear. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, I I could respond to that and just say so. So what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, is when he says about to disappear, you take that as we're still under the old covenant because was he the says was the writer of Hebrews under the old or the new covenant in this moment? He was under the new covenant. Why? That's the whole he point just said of this something opposite. He just said the opposite in verse 13. Why would you think that? Well, because he says in verse 6 that Christ, having obtained a better ministry, more excellent mm -hmm. than the old, as the covenant he mediates, is better okay. since it is enacted on better promises. And mm -hmm. the whole... What did, what's that's about the Yeshua? context. Let's keep it in context. Where, where did the Yeshua whole point get it? Is explaining it? Hold on, let me finish. The whole point is explaining the better covenant and what makes it better? Now, what makes it better? He then refers to the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. speaks of it as having been fulfilled and being fulfilled in Christ. Okay. That's why. And, and what's the key? It's why I keep saying the Holy Spirit is the key to this conversation. That's okay, what he man. goes on. That's what he goes on to in verse 10. Uh, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, and he says, the Holy Spirit says, by a single offering, he's perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness, bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I will make with him for those days, I will write my law in their hearts. He's yes. saying can the we, law has been written on our hearts. Yeah. Has it? Has it really? Well, that's what Paul says in Romans that's, 2 about the Gentiles, does he not? He says those who don't have the law show that they, they have it are law unto themselves. No. Through their conscience. He, yeah. Read. No. It, 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 I'll read let's, it. Let's it stay says, right here. It's, no, no, no. We'll no. Go there. Hold on. We'll go there. You, hold on. Brother, I'm, I wanna, I'm addressing I want to read it. We got it, it on said, screen here. Yeah. Well, yeah, but read, no, you said. Accusing you them said, or defending them on the day no, they stand judgment. Hold on. Hold on. You just said 
that Paul said that this is important because it has to do with whether or not this prophecy has been fulfilled. Yes. You just said that he said, writes the law on your on their conscience. That's not what it says. It says, Romans chapter 2, verse 14, for when the Gentiles well, who read, do not have the, the law it, by nature, I will do what the law requires. They law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Okay. Jeremiah some, 31 some version is says fulfilled. Right. Some it's, this, it's cardia. It's okay, the, let me ask you this, the same word. Okay, that, cool. Let me, let me ask you something real quick. That matters for this, the fulfillment it, of this text. You're suppressing the truth no, of I'm that not. right now. I'm actually trying to address it. You're just talking over me. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Jeremy, what is Brother. the law on the on, on the, the pagans' hearts? The law is on the, the nation's hearts, on all the Gentiles. By the word, the word Gentile means someone not no, in no. covenant. No, I don't so, say that. I know you don't. So let's let me let me just stay here. This is the same passage that you're trying to address. The law is already written mm -hmm. on your heart. Mm -hmm. It's on screen here. Hebrews 8:10. It's repeating the promise of the new covenant details from Jeremiah 31. Is the law on your heart right now, brother? Yes. Okay. What is Leviticus 19:11? That's a that is a silly way to interpret it. Is it? Yes. It's a metaphor. Because you don't obviously. even know the law. It's a it's a metaphor. No. Okay. So the father is going to have, when he resurrects us, he's going to put this metaphorical understanding of his behavior in our hearts. No, I, I Paul makes it absolutely clear. Do you think that when Paul says that the Gentiles who don't have the law show that they are law to themselves because, and that the work of the law is written on their hearts mm -hmm. because it bears witness in their That's conscience. Right. Do you for think what, that, that hold on, do you think that reason? that means? Do you think that that means that they have the whole law memorized? Is that what you think? No, because the text tells us what he's talking about. And well, then what's the your text. point? Read the full text. It says that when we stand judgment before Yeshua, our yes. hearts either approving uh, or confirming us and condemning us. Right? Yeah. Conflicting thoughts, yeah. either accusing or yeah. But you That's have to read the rest of the text. You. You have to I read, did. The, read yeah, the rest I did. of the text. I'm the one yeah. asking you to read the rest of the text. <laughs> no, but you stopped yeah, short. They excuse or accuse him on the day. What does he say? When, when according to my gospel, God judges what? The secret thoughts of men. Yes. Yeah, so so now, we stand in judgment before Yeshua. Okay. So Luke 12, 38. Okay. But clearly, I mean, please just. Let me ask you this. Is, brother. Is, is the, the plain pay, reading the Gentile, of this text. Okay. I'm trying that to get there. They You're, have just over me a lot. You're just talking over me a lot. Can we take turns? Yeah, go for it. If you're claiming that the, all the Gentile nations already have the law written on their heart. Not claiming that. Okay. Not claiming that. I'm because saying Paul, that all okay, those me, under me, the new covenant have the brother, law written on me, This is what me, I'm claiming. Okay, I, I heard that multiple times. So it's the writer of Hebrew, Romans chapter 2. you misrepresented my position. Okay, well then and, I'm trying to expound to better understand your position. Let okay. me please get yeah. to it. Romans chapter 2, Paul, the same author, also wrote Ephesians chapter 2. Mm -hmm. Right? We're in agreement with that, right? Yeah, we agree. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to put some up on screen for us. <clears throat> All right, so here is the idea of what it means to be a Gentile or a part of Israel and covenant. And you are in the new covenant, right? You have the king of the new covenant that you're in is Jesus Christ, the king of Israel. Are we correct? Yes. All right. Paul also says in Ephesians 2.11, therefore remember that previously, that means before their conversion, you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, a group of, of Jews who really care about circumcision a lot, 
which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you at that time were separate from Christ, excluding from the pe- excluded from the people of Israel mm-hmm. and strangers to the covenants of the mm-hmm. promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now here's the turning point because they've converted to discipleship in Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were previously far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brother, this is grafting in, as he explains in Romans mm-hmm. 10 and 11, and also Exodus chapter 12 and Numbers 35 explains as well. This is grafting into Israel through covenant. Mm-hmm. You cannot be in covenant and be considered a Gentile. You're, you're, you may be born from a nation outside of Israel. And if you want to topographically and geographically use the word Gentile in that regard, have fun. But according to the context of scripture and Paul himself, the Gentiles he's speaking of in Romans 2 is speaking about the whole world. Okay. The whole world has this inherent law of God. That's why some translations use the word conscience written on their heart on the inside, because when they stand before Yeshua and they're not in covenant with him, their actions that went against that law, which is first John three, two sin is transgression of the law. Their actions will condemn them when they stand judgment before Yeshua. Okay. What's the definition of Gentile? I just gave it brother. I just gave two different versions. What's the Greek word for Gentile? I don't, I don't remember the it's, Greek it's word. It's ethnos, from which we get okay. ethnography, right? And it's literally, it, literally, it literally can be translated nations or Gentiles, sure. every place that you put it. And every okay. place. So, well, the point is, a Gentile, I, I don't think that your, your definition of Gentile is, it represents the whole New Testament usage. You're looking at one passage, and I agree in that context. But the nations, this is why some translation just, translate Gentiles as the nations. All, all that term in its most general sense means is it's a delineation between those who are part of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those who are not, okay? That's not that's and, not what Paul's referring to in that passage. I know he's not there, but yeah. you just took one passage and you're saying, yes. every time you see Gentile, because- no, I'm, in, I'm trying to give you, you asked me about Paul. You were really concerned about Paul's interpretation of this. And we've been reading well, from Paul's letters. Okay. I went, I, I tried to address Paul too with Ephesians too. It's also in Galatians okay. and also in but, Romans chapter, but can chapter I 10. Okay. Can I respond? Okay. We, we've been in, both responding. Yeah, yeah. In Romans 2, when he talks about the Gentiles, I believe he is talking now, because I think this is the plainest reading of the text. I believe what he's talking about when he says the law is written on their hearts. I believe he's talking about the same thing Jeremiah said would happen under the new covenant and what the author of Hebrews is saying is happening in light of the new covenant that he's introducing. Now, when I first referenced Romans 2, I was saying that that this text in Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10 says that the law would be written on our hearts. And you took that to mean that we would have the whole law memorized. Now, I think that is. What is, that is what is what is Jeremiah 31? Let's go to Jeremiah 31 real quick, because we got to get the context of this. Yeah. The promise. Of yeah. The covenant. And yeah, I'll quote it for you. I know it. he says that no longer will they teach one another saying, know the Lord. They will each know me from the least to the mm-hmm. greatest. Everyone under, here's the difference. This is a beautiful, a so, beautiful way to understand. Oh, well, let wait me a minute. Well, you're, you're glazing oh. right over it, brother. No, no. Let me explain what it means. I just read it and now I'm going to explain. Okay. Under the old covenant, 
Not everyone who was circumcised knew God. Not everyone obeyed. Not everyone believed. They were, you know, there was um, David, there was Moses, you know, but there was Ahab, you know, there were there were the long line of dynasty of corrupt kings who obviously didn't know God. But, but hold on. Under the new covenant, everyone, everyone under the new covenant knows God because that's what determines whether or not they are in the new covenant. That's what he means by saying no longer where they teach each other, saying, know the Lord, they will know me, each of them from the least to the greatest. It's it's the same sense when Jesus says, as when Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep hear my voice. So. Okay. Um, thank you. I disagree, respectfully disagree. I think that's your interpretation. I think you're taking liberties with the idea of what it means to know God. <laughs> and okay, sure. You, and I'll put it yeah. on screen for okay. us why I think yeah. that. Okay. So in first John two, three through six, he says, by this, we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, are you are you keeping the weekly Sabbath? Uh, not according to all the stipulations of the law. So are you taking a day off of work on Saturdays, the seventh day of the week? I do take a day off of work on Saturdays. Yeah, awesome. but I but there's a lot of things that I don't do. What are you What are you getting at? By this, we know we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments, <clears throat> because we're talking about His laws. His commandments that are you're claiming they're put on our hearts because we're in the new covenant already. Mm-hmm. I tried to ask you. I said, "Okay, cool. Tell me what a random law is." And you're like, "Well, that's a ridiculous litmus test." You didn't because... ask me a random law. You asked I did. me a Leviticus quote, 19, Leviticus. 11. Yeah, you didn't yeah. say quote a random law. You asked me a, a well, chapter I, and verse that I don't know off the top of my head. I just I, quoted Jeremiah. Well, the point is, the point is, I do I mean, know. I do it, that. What's, what's but to you? It's random because you don't know it. That's what I'm saying. And here we have in in First John two three. You're trying to say that everyone is already in the new covenant because we have his laws written on our Not hearts. Not everyone. Everyone well, who, who is in faith and belief faith in Jesus. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. So all believers yeah. are already in the new covenant according to you because you think you already have the fullness of God's law written on your heart. Verse three. Yeah, it's, by this not, we've come to know not, him. That's not, I don't believe that they're all already in the new covenant because they already have the law written on their heart. I believe they have the law written on their heart because they're in the new covenant. That's a very different... Causal no, relationship. Not. No, it's not. Okay. Yeah, it is. I got, I got it on screen here. All right. I'm trying to read it. Yeah. Verse four, the one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth mm-hmm. is not in him, but whoever follows his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. And that word in the Greek okay. means to be completed, finished okay. and finished. So we're going to have death. a whole discussion on first John because we could do that, but we're talking about a different letter. We need to keep it in context. You keep, Brother, we're talking about you, the you're same You're jumping concepts. around. Why don't we stay in? If we want to have a conversation on First John, let's do it. We're but we need to have a We have to put it in the context of the whole book. Brother, <laughs> it's okay. Can I ask okay. a question? I, I think Hold one on, second. Hey, Keegan real, has a question. Real quick, Keegan. Jeremy, here's one thing I want to I want to ask respectfully of you as we go forward, brother. Mm-hmm. My channel is called Kingdom and Context. I've used the word context. I've actually done an entire video on 10 easy ways to find context while you're studying scripture. Beautiful. Would you please stop in a derogatory manner acting like I'm intentionally disregarding the context of our conversation or of the verses we're referring to? That's not my intention, but... Well, then you're but, poorly misrepresenting yourself. Okay. Well, we, we were having a conversation about Hebrews 8, and you jump over to First John 2, and it's like, now we're talking about a whole different letter. No, How we're not. can you understand we're that? We're talking about the commandments written on your heart, the law of God on your heart, whether it's really there or not right now, or are you still learning this? 
because Jeremiah 31 says you won't have to teach each other or your neighbor to learn <clears throat> okay. about God. You'll know him. First yeah. John 2, 3 says anyone that knows him but doesn't keep his commandments is not speaking truthfully. Yeah. yeah. Right. So therefore, yeah. you, that's what I'm trying to tell you, brother. The promise of the resurrection, according to a whole bunch of verses, is that you and, and the new covenant, which is the only time you enter into the new covenant, which is why Yeshua is in the new covenant, because he truly has this resurrected new body. And we are not there yet, but when we get there and get glorified and quickened and get our new incorruptible bodies and have his laws put on our hearts, we then step into this new covenant by which we become mediators in, according to Ephesians chapter three, mediators, mediators of the better to, covenant to the rest of the world that lives outside the new Jerusalem that still needs to know the law. Isaiah two, two through five, as well as Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 48, the whole chapter, as well as Revelation 22 yeah. verses 14 through 21. Okay, so I'm starting. So to, here's where we're having yeah. a big disconnect is because mm -hmm. you are not taking the face value literal words with their definitions King, of the scriptures, and you I, think I there's will, no kingdom I will of heaven. Respect, I will respectfully ask you to stop making platitudinal claims like that about what I'm saying and deal with the text and the question. I've been dealing with the text. I've been okay, dealing with okay. it. Okay, so let's stick okay. to the text and and and. I have been. We, okay, but but you but. I have made arguments from the text, and then you've just labeled them as, as I'm not taking the literal text, where I've pointed out multiple times that you've refused to take the text as literal. And so it's it's clear. We don't have to take it personally, okay, brother? I'm just, well, I'm just I'm struggling okay, to understand I'll, your reasoning. Is this literal or is this figurative, this highlight? Well, hold passage. on, hold on, hold on. Just hold on. Stay. Look at me, okay? Just I'm looking me at for you. a minute. I'm looking okay? at you on the screen here. Okay, so... But, but what I'm saying is we're both trying our best to interpret the text, right? But we, we recognize that some that there are genre of literature that require a different mode of interpretation. There is figurative language, there's literal language, and we both recognize that. We both have, we, right? The, yeah, we've been talking the, about it, yeah. Okay, so, and so yeah. that's what we're trying to do. So I'm not trying to misrepresent you, and I, I, I trust that you're not trying to misrepresent me. Now, in Hebrews 8, you asked the question, is this is literal this, or figurative? Is this tabernacle mentioned it is, here? It is literal. literal. It, it's 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 literal. Sweet. But 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 hold on. Here's the way I would try to explain what I mean by that. I think the absolute, okay, of what heaven is. Is it is it is we understand that through the types and shadows that Hebrews talk about, right? Okay. And the and the reason why but that, that depends is, on your interpretation of how you understand it through the types and shadows. What's your okay. if, yeah. your hermeneutic lens, right? Yeah. But 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 we're talking about in my understanding, we're talking about a spiritual reality that we literally cannot fathom. We can. He explained it to us in the text. I got it on the screen here actually. Okay. That we couldn't fathom apart from the narrative history of Israel. I mean, that was the whole point of the history of Israel, to be a signpost, to be to point forward to Jesus, as Jesus said to the, the scribes and Pharisees in Mark 7. You search the scriptures because you think in them they have that you find life, but th it is they that bear witness about me. The That's right. whole movement of the text That's right. is he so that we would understand the, the revelation Hallelujah. of Jesus. Right. So so that's the way I understand this this reality about uh, about the the tabernacle is referential everything the sacrificial system referential 
the priesthood, referential, it is all pointing to a heaven reality that then came in the person of Jesus Christ. It was the what obviously you don't agree with, but you may be familiar with the category that may represent my understanding. Mm-hmm. It would be an inaugurated eschatology that Jesus yeah. began the the last days. And, you know, it even, you know, even talks about in. Uh, yeah. Fancy I mean, words aside, I actually think there's a lot of proof for that t- idea in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When, especially when you read like the old, older literature of the Hebrews uh, in the Old Testament, they talk about the last days and yeah, hundred percent. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess the, I guess the big, you know, the big point of contention in the discussion is I, I don't see how Hebrew, like the whole of Hebrews, um, eight, nine, and ten are not declaring that Christ, as the I mean, you do say he's a mediator of the new covenant, he is the mediator of the new covenant, and I just don't understand how it is that that's not efficacious now, and how, how he's not mediating. I mean, even like he's you, you know, mm-hmm. to quote first John, yeah. that if we confess our sins, we he is faithful mm-hmm. and just cleanses, uh, forgives right. sin, cleanses fallen righteous. He is our right. advocate before the Father. He is right. at the right who, hand of God. Who brings us into the new covenant? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Jesus brings us into the covenant by the Holy Spirit. That's, That's right. hundred percent. Yeah. Because okay. the same spirit of power of God that worked through Jesus to raise his body to a glorified and corruptible body. Yes. Revelation 3, 5, he's going to call our names out before the Father and the angels mm-hmm. and raise us to eternal life on the day of the Lord as well. The day yes. of his return. Yes. The same Holy Spirit that flows through the high priesthood position. That's just, that is the process the Father assigned in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. is the same process that he's using in his priesthood of a different order, same instructions of priesthood, just a different order, one not based on genealogy and in a different temple building structure. He gets to announce atonement, clears our sins away, raises us to eternal life, gives us the beautiful promise of the inheritance of his eternal behavior written inside of our being. So we never sin again. We're never under the law of sin and death again and brings us into what I have on screen right here. The new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. Brother, this is a process being described to you. If you bought a couch from Ikea and you read these words and replaced the words heaven and the words firmament and the words new Jerusalem with the words cushion and couch pillow, this is an instruction manual. This is a detailed description of a process that's happening right here, brother. Is this literal or is it figurative when the father tells John in his revelation that he's going to have an entire city coming down through the firmament, the heaven. Is that literal or figurative? Is it I, literal don't, or figurative? I don't know. I'd say I don't know. I, I'm not opposed to it being literal. I'm, I'm not opposed to, uh, I'm certainly not opposed to that being literal. Yeah, this is what Yeshua called the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, okay. The, because the kingdom of heaven is not always referred to as a place. I think even in the Lord's prayer, when when Jesus says, to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's right. Uh, I, I think that it is more than a place. I'm not, I don't think it's not a place. Don't get me wrong. But I think it is also, and there's, I'm not alone on this, but the ki- mm-hmm. kingdom could also be interpreted reign or kingship. So wherever Jesus is obeyed, there his kingdom is. And that's the sense in which I believe he is saying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when the the son of heaven comes to earth and 
calls his disciples to him and those disciples obey him wherever that is happening god's will is done and in that sense we become a kind of parable for the kingdom that is to come in its fullness when jesus returns which i think maybe we believe, agree with uh, maybe we that, agree that's on that. why Yeshua talks about the gospel of the kingdom of God. He taught his disciples the behavior of the kingdom of God. This is the covenant terms. This is what was given to everyone in faith and belief all the way back to Adam. It's the behavior of the kingdom of the practice. <clears throat> Leviticus 18, 5, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 18, a whole bunch of other places. If you do these behaviors, you will live. Mm -hmm. You're going to get that eternal life, the promise of Abraham, in which Everyone in Mount Sinai was in the same promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It literally tells you that in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20. Mm -hmm. Everyone is in the same covenant promise of, in this life, while you're in the mortal flesh, you practice his behavior. He knows you're going to fail. That's why he gave you a priesthood. Mm -hmm. You have a specific priesthood promised to an earthly human mortal person called Levi, a son mm -hmm. of Jacob, that then passed down to Levi, to Aaron and then the Zeokites. And then you have a different order of priesthood, just like the one that uh, Abraham tithed to in Genesis 14, the Melchizedek order. Mm -hmm. That's the order that Yeshua steps into because that one's not dependent upon being a specific lineage of genealogy. Mm -hmm. So that one, you just clearly have to do the behavior of the father in order to be able to be in that priesthood. Yeshua exemplified that perfectly. That's why he is the high priest of this tabernacle in heaven, a literal physical place directly above your head. God is closer to you than some ethereal, nondescriptive place. He's literally above you. That's where the angels come from when they come down to the earth. He's ministering in a true physical tabernacle on your behalf, brother, to make atonement for you. When you came to Christ, when you came to your confession and repentance of sin, he was in that tabernacle ministering on your behalf for you to make that possible. Yeah, see, I, I would take the, the cross as the place where atonement was made. That's not the Father's process. That's where he gave his life selflessly to get to his priesthood. But that's not the process the Father outlined in scriptures of how atonement's made through his, his behavior. Well, if you understand Jesus' body as the temple in the way that he referred to it, uh, then then you could under and what I believe what Hebrews 10 is saying when he says that the temple was the curtain was torn, that is Jesus' flesh. His flesh, right? Right. So right. I, I take that to be saying, I think the plainest reading of that. Is that the so cross? You, yeah, go ahead. How do you take that Hebrews 10 passage as a metaphor? Because you understand that's a metaphor. Yeshua's yes. personal flesh wasn't literally yeah. the veil. The, the literal veil was across the hills over in the actual temple in the yeah. Holy of Holies. So you yeah. know that's yeah. a metaphoric statement. But yet, totally. we come over here to Hebrews chapter 8, where it literally tells us there's a temple he's ministering in, a tabernacle in heaven. And you don't take that literal, you take it as metaphor. Uh, I'm sorry, which which passage? Oh, oh, because because you see, I think the 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 category difference that kind of describes the different lenses we're looking through is that you see heaven with particular, like the big category for you is place. I see the big category as person. Okay. Okay. And and I think that's where maybe we have a big disagreement because here's a here's a fifth reference well, well, on. in Revelation well, hold on, to the hold on. temple. Let, well, let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. When when like you got to ask the question. So why let's stick to Hebrews for a minute. I mean, we can come back to this, but when the author of Hebrews refers to Jesus flesh as the curtain, he's clearly using this metaphor, metaphor sure. that comes from the temple, right? We can, 
And right. we understand. He expects, he expects you to know the process of the temple and the trappings and the furniture and everything involved. That the writer of Hebrews expects you to know the Old Testament to get that metaphor. Okay. Yeah. Right. And 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 you know when Jesus was crucified, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom, right? Okay. That, you, now, do you think okay. he's referring to the same analogical moment where you had? A temple curtain being ripped and Jesus' body being crucified. I think that the taking the context of Hebrews nine and ten, where it, mm -hmm. it goes, kind of Hebrews eight almost jumps over what was being explained in Hebrews seven, but it doesn't quite. It's still just expounding on some ideas. But here's, Hebrews seven is expounding upon the differences between the two priesthoods, between the Levite and the yep. Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. He then goes in Hebrews nine and ten to go and expound further into those differences by explaining the day of atonement requirements of the high priest, how he had to make atonement for himself and for his family before he could atone for the entire assembly of Israel. Mm -hmm. He's referencing Leviticus sixteen. Mm -hmm. So therefore, he's leading up this whole time till we get to the point of Hebrews chapter ten to express this idea of Yeshua getting to a place of. In his body being a sacrifice, as Hebrews 5, 6 through 10 already tells us, mm -hmm. on the cross, Yeshua's body is metaphorically like the veil being torn. Mm -hmm. Right? Because yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I agree. And, because and, why? And the, because veil, see... and, and the veil literally was torn, right? Yes, it was literally torn. Okay. okay. Yeah. But so God, it's a, that's it's God's picture... sign that something is changing about the temple, well, it, I would say. That's that, yes, that, uh, okay. I'll accept okay. your interpretation. My interpretation would be according mm -hmm. to the context of Hebrews 7, 9, and 10, mm -hmm. that is expounding upon the idea that there was corruption in the Levite priesthood, which is what ex expounds in those chapters, which is what we mm -hmm. see in the Gospels. And that mm -hmm. corruption was them ministering in a temple with the wrong hearts, not doing the behavior of God, as Yeshua calls them out at every single point of the game, which is what I expressed two hours and 10 minutes ago. So that is, they were not doing the law of God. They were doing their own things and they were doing, and th this is what I expressed from Leviticus 9 much earlier when Aaron was required to do the law of God and minister as a priest, he had to have his heart circumcised. He had mm -hmm. to do it with the right heart. The father doesn't, the father, just like Hebrews 10 said, it's not the blood of bulls and goats that takes away sin. Yep, amen. What, the, the, what we needed this whole time was not a perfect blood or bull, a bull of goat because they already had that. They literally were supposed to be required to get the, this spotless bland, uh, lamb mm -hmm. or ox or whatever. They already had, quote unquote, according to God's requirements, they already had what was needed for that sacrifice. And it still didn't do what Yeshua can do because he is perfect in his behavior. And then he steps into a priesthood that's never been done on earth. From Adam mm -hmm. to the days of Yeshua, no one has ever been able to be a faithful high priest who is without sin to step mm -hmm. before the Father. And as a result of that purity, which is what Hebrews 5 expounds upon, he gets to have a greater access to God's power to give to us. And that's why I said earlier, it's a shortcut with Yeshua's priesthood mm -hmm. so that he can minister in his body, his glorified body in the heavenly, physical, real tabernacle above and drop the spirit to us on the earth as he deems and sees fit according to his will so that it can empower us to help us to do his will, which is the commandments of God, mm -hmm. which is all the, all the behavior that he instructed that would apply to us. Yeah. Okay. And this is, this is why once we get yeah. the promise of getting those laws on our hearts, so we don't have to learn them anymore once we get to the new covenant. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm just trying to say, yeah, Hebrews 10, it ex you have to understand the priesthood and the positions of the priests and what their job duties were. Basically, yeah. it requires you to have a working knowledge, a strong working knowledge yeah. of Leviticus and Numbers. And then once you have that, you can see all the references and metaphor being made to Yeshua's body, just like 
you know, Paul calls him in first Corinthians five, seven, he calls him our Passover lamb. Was Yeshua literally yeah. a lamb? No. No. He was called the Lamb of God. It's an idiomatic phrase given to him, a moniker. He was yeah. not literally chopped up and cooked on the altar, the bronze altar, and, and fed to the people yeah. for Passover, right? So right. It's, we know that yeah. right. they're using law terms from the Old Testament prophets yeah. to refer to our Messiah in yeah. different parts of his job and his obedience. And that's yeah. all. Yeah. It's, and, it's and, a metaphor. It, it, well, I mean, it is a metaphor, uh, but, 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 you know, it's again in that sense that I quoted from Mark 7, the scriptures all about him or Luke 24 that he went back and basically had this long Bible study with his disciples after the resurrection. He showed them all in the law and the prophets and the Psalms that were written about him. Right. So all of these word pictures were instituted by God himself so that in the old covenant, so that the gospel would be understood and that Christ would be recognized. I think you agree with that, right? Um, sh sure. I mean, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. So loosely, but, I mean, I don't want to pick it apart, but loosely. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, okay. So again, he's not a literal <laughs> sacrifice. He's not, he's not put on an altar and killed by a Levite priest. So even in Isaiah well, 53, 10, well, he's called a guilt offering, which yeah. is different. Than a Passover yeah, well, offering. this is a beautiful, well, this is a beautiful thing. Like what yeah. was the, va th I mean, think about G I mean, it's quoted in, in, even Hebrews 10 and the prophets pick up on this, even in Samuel says, God, it's not like God ever delighted in sacrifice, right? So what is the point of the sacrificial system? It's it to have a meal with the father. Yeah. In fact, oh, hold, we on, had hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Quote. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. But multiple times throughout the old Testament and it's here in, in, in Hebrews 10, that it, it says sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, right? What Let's did God desire? Let's read the passage because there's a yeah. there's a okay. here's where we have to study uh, the text. Hold on, hold on. I let you let me just finish here because because I want to I want to go through the text actually to all the way to verse ten of chapter ten and read it. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have yes. prepared for me. Now remember it in context the the discussion of the body was brought up. Uh, earlier in chapter nine, right? When he starts, he introduces the idea of a will. Remember, he says he's a meter of a new covenant, verse mm -hmm. nine, verse 15, so that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Uh, 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 so for a death has occurred that redeems him from the transgression committed under the first covenant. For where, where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, right. even even the first covenant was right. not was inaugurated. Not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. And That's I right. take that to be leading to his, the whole logic of that is saying that Christ inaugurated the second covenant by His blood. So He goes on. Chapter made, 10, verse, not, verse 6. Yeah. Uh, verse you're, six. You're not dead yet, though, brother. But, but Christ is. And raised that's from the I dead. Said. That's what yeah. I already said. He entered into the new covenant because yeah, yeah. he gets the okay, promise yeah. of the covenant. I, I see what you're right. saying. But I, you like, are I'm not following. there yet. Yeah. Okay, okay. But, yeah. But, he's, but he is currently the mediator of that covenant. He he bring he makes atonement for us so he can bring us into the new covenant at resurrection. I, I oh yeah, I'd say I this is where. Well, well, we yeah, <laughs> good one. 
we we just disagree about a time issue here. Okay, but but I, but, but hold on, hold on. we disagree about the well, the, the definitions of the words. Okay, but hold on. Well, we okay. really do. Well, I mean, we how really how generic of a thing could you say? I mean, that. I'm sorry, man. I tried where to... where do we even begin? But hold on, let me finish reading this passage. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have not you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, here's what God wanted, not sacrifices and, and burnt offerings, a body you have prepared for me. For behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in the scroll of the book. What does God want? It is not sacrifices. It is what he wants people to do, his will. That's what made Jesus' life an acceptable offering to God. He did the will of God perfectly. Mm -hmm throughout his entire life but then it goes brother, on I just brother, want to read the verse you misquoted 10. something just then what you did i miss you, you said that god Sorry, does i'm not, doing most of this from memory so i should I, be i hear you but he, the, the passage says that god does not take delight in sacrifices for sin sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me keep, keep reading the next verse in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. He, ma he takes he makes two for, statements for sin offerings. For sin you know, offerings, do you know what sin offerings are? There's a different. There's multiple offerings listed in Leviticus. Yes, and he just listed generally sacrifices and offerings, and mm -hmm. now he's saying burnt he's, offerings and sin offerings. Okay, so if you that's take the no way, pleasure. if if we're gonna, you know, I'm not saying this to be tongue in cheek, but I, I literally don't know how any other way to compare these two verses right here. Okay, so if that's the way that we're gonna interpret Hebrews chapter. Uh, chapter 10 that you're reading. I'm not and, interpreting. I'm just reading it. Well, what you're saying is you're, you're claiming that the father doesn't delight in sacrifices as a whole. Yet we just read two chapters earlier in Hebrews chapter eight, verse three and four. Yeshua was in heaven offering sacrifices and gifts in the tabernacle in heaven. And so, I got on sorry, screen right sorry, here. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I got go on screen that, right Go to that. Go to that verse <laughs> specifically. Okay. Um, you you think that, that you think Jesus is in heaven literally slaughtering lambs? Is that I'm just asking. What do what do you see this? Okay. What do, what do you will you just read that for me? Just humor me and read that for me. A minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which the Lord sets up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are those who offer gifts according to the law, where, where does it say that he is in heaven right now slaughtering lambs and offering them to God? Right here. He's in the sanctuary in heaven. And it's explaining uh, the priesthood. Oh, 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 oh. that is, baby, I, I, I'm trying to explain it to you. Okay, go for it. <laughs> okay. That, yes, my question. It okay. Yes, it is. Okay. He's in All heaven. Right. He, we have such a high priest who's taking a seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Yeah, yeah. This is where yeah. Yeshua is. Okay. Yeah. yeah where? To minister. That's a priestly term. To minister. Yeah, it position. means to serve. It's the same word, dikaios. Right. It's the same word right. as serving. That's why he calls him yeah. a high priest in so the next okay. verse. Yep. He's ministering in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle. What is the definition of a high priest ministering in a tabernacle? Diakonos. Sorry, I misquoted. Or mis what, what is sorry. the biblical, sorry, the biblical definition? Again. What is the definition of a priest ministering in a tabernacle? What does that look like? What does that do practically and literally? Well, it depends on if you think there's a new tabernacle. In, it's not new. It, it's not new. This is the one that's been here since the creation began. This is what Hebrews tells us later. It so means is, worship in general. Now, do you think that Jesus what is, is the slaughtering animals in, in heaven? Let me ask you that. I'm telling you that it tells us right here in the text that he's yes. in the tabernacle in the heavens. Okay. And he's offering sacrifices and gifts just like the other priests do according to the law. 
Okay, so let me ask you this. And, and before we go, I'm going to explain, I've expressed this to you because remember, Hebrews is not saying anything new. He's just repeating. So Jesus is killing what animals he in heaven. Is that what we're, you're saying? We're going to just, just yes or no. I'm going to, I'm going to it. I'm answering okay. your question, brother. You want me to answer okay. from my personal opinion or from scripture? So I want you go. to answer from scripture. Here we go. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. So this is speaking of, this is the whole context about the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. And in verse seven, and it says, even those talking about, even foreigners and all everybody that he brings in Isaiah 57, 19, all the nations that he brings in to worship God at the new Jerusalem, which is the kingdom of heaven, which is also called in Isaiah, multiple places, the holy mountain and his house of prayer. He says, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house. We call the house of prayer for all peoples. Yeah. Okay. Do you guys know that making a, a sacrifice was just literally a priest making a meal before the Father that he can enjoy fellowship yeah. with the Father? Um, well, some the peace offering was that, but there's not more, all sac- more, not all yeah. sacrifices were eaten. Do you guys know that the the, priests, the peace offering was the priest in, in Deuteronomy um, Deuteronomy twenty one and Leviticus six the priests eat of the sin offering because it was how he created mediation and fellowship with the Father on behalf of the sins of the people. Yeah. 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 So the point is, what I'm trying to say is that the way you're reading Hebrews 10 is you're trying to make sacrifices a bad thing. When we got Hebrews 8 telling us that the Yeshua is in heaven doing them, and we have a prophecy in the future about the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven, where all peoples, both the resurrected saints and all the nations who come to join before the Lord, will okay. all be doing sacrifices and burnt offerings <laughs> to the Father because it's literally a yeah. meal. It's not a yeah. bad thing. Okay. You make a meal every day with your family. Yeah. Okay. It's just okay. a meal. Yeah. So let me ask you. What I was doing was reading the text, which says, I'm just reading the words, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. I was not having, now hold on. Now I haven't, I'm not trying to have a discussion about this. We can have this discussion. I'm happy. I was trying to get to where the text gets. I'm not saying sacrifices in the Old Testament were bad. God commanded them. But I'm just saying, what did God really want? He wanted his people to, to do his will. That's right. What do you think? Right? the we- In Matthew 22, what do you think the wedding supper of the lamb is? It tells you in the text in verse four that they slaughter the ox. I think we're going to eat in heaven. I think we it's not that I in in the new Jerusalem, I'll say the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, I do not think I, I think I mean, the whole point of this passage is that the that. Christ, because of Christ, there is no more need for offerings and sacrifices. He is the final sacrifice. It doesn't say that, brother. Uh, well, it says he did. Well, that's your interpretation. Respectfully, that's your interpretation. That's okay. what I heard in, in seminary. Yeah, but that's not. Okay, so so you not, think that we should still be offering sacrifices? No, I think there's context to this because the, Levit- the Levites, just as Hebrews 8 verse 4 and 5 tells us, if Yeshua okay. were a priest, he wouldn't even be a priest if he were back on earth. Mm-hmm. His priesthood is connected to the kingdom of heaven and the tabernacle in heaven above. The Levites were appointed and anointed and granted the eternal position of priesthood on the earth. And I'll go to why that's relevant right here with another passage. So I'm not a Levite. There is no standing temple. This is We're in a moment of prophecy right now where we're in a dispersion that was prophesied with no standing temple. So are you a Zionist then? No, the... brother. I don't do Judaism. And that's okay. actually a version, a worse version of Judaism that deals with Kabbalah. And, okay. Brother, I I'm just, just trying to take the scriptures as they say. Oh, yeah. No, totally. no, no. 
I, this is why I tell everyone, look, if they try to build another temple over there, that's not, it's not yeah, what's that's in scripture. Okay, the only good. other temple that's promised that we just had on screen, I didn't get to read was Revelation 21 that comes down out of heaven. That's the only other temple that's going to matter to anyone on the earth. So <laughs> when there's no temple, but yeah. We, we already went over that in great detail. Yeah, also, if, you, it, if you would like to read Ezekiel 40 through 48, it'll give you a little clearer understanding on that. I, so you know what? In I this moment here, yeah. yeah, so here in Isaiah, we have uh, in chapter 66, he actually tells us, which perfectly lines up with Hebrews 8, 4, and 5 I was mm -hmm. trying to express to you earlier, is this idea that the Levites are for the earthly priesthood. Mm -hmm. You as a Melchizedek in the same Melchizedek order of priesthood that Yeshua is in, you're not there yet, literally. And when you get there, you're going to be ministering inside the kingdom of heaven in a real literal tabernacle, not on, not outside the kingdom of heaven on the earth, because the Levites have already been granted that position. This is what it tells us. And when he comes back, and I'm going to read about the second coming of Yeshua, I pray to the Father that you think this is literal. Verse 18, he says, I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all the nations and all tongues, and they shall come and see my glory, and I will put a sign among them and send survivors from them to the nations, Tarshish, Put, Lud, Meshach, Tubal, and Javan, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory amongst the nations. Then they shall bring all their countrymen from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses, chariots, litters, mules, and camels to thy holy mountain, Jerusalem. That's the new Jerusalem. Says the Lord, just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the Lord, I will take some of them as priests and Levites. Mm -hmm. Also yeah. in Ezekiel 44, verses 7 through 9, it tells us the same information that amongst mortal mankind, he will choose from among them priests as Levites. This is exactly what Hebrews chapter 5 expresses to us as well, as it tries to help us understand their qualifications for a priest, mm -hmm. which is someone that is taken amongst his brethren. For every high priest is taken from among men in appointment on behalf of people and things pertaining to God to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So we have two places in Hebrews, chapter 5 and chapter 8, that tell you Yeshua is doing sacrifices in heaven as a high priest. Therefore, we cannot conclude chapter 10 is nullifying that process, according to your interpretation. Okay, well, I... And I, and I just showed I, you a prophecy about the New Jerusalem, them doing sacrifices in the kingdom. Well, see, I, see, I wouldn't... We're just I making just wouldn't, Yeah, no, I, and I, I just wouldn't agree with your interpretation of certain of those texts. I mean, you I, just jumped to multiple of them. I know and, this is, yeah, we're, we're following the thread of the co the topic throughout multiple books that mention and explain it. Well, I mean, I could do the same thing. I mean, I could spell out a temple. The I mean, one of the things that we haven't even talked about is the role of baptism in all this and why baptism. I mean, you have in John the Baptist, the son of someone through the line of Aaron, Elizabeth and Zachariah, who mm -hmm. was a Levite. That's right. John comes qualified as a priest, but bapti baptizing people as a prophet. Was he in the and, New Testament or the New Covenant? What's that? Was John the Baptist in the New Covenant? John the Baptist was the final prophet of the Old Covenant. Where does it where does it say that, brother? It's an interpretation. Okay. But what was he doing? What was the precedent for baptism? When when were people when were people washed in the Old Testament? The precedent for baptism is the Day of Atonement. The priest would bathe himself in pure water in, pre, in preparation to enter the Holy of Holies. What John was doing is saying, not one person once a year can enter into the Holy Presence of God. He wasn't preparing like that priest. What was he doing? He was preparing for a priesthood of all believers. He was inviting everyone to be baptized, to be prepared for the, hold on, for the Holy of Holies, as it were, to yeah. enter into them. Because again, this leads into 
us being declared the temple. It's a new reality under the new covenant. This is where it's, I'm taking the plain text of scripture and you're just disagreeing with me. You disagree with my interpretation. I know, it, let me ask you something about your baptism. I'm trying, to make, I'm trying to make sense of the plain reading of text that, that it doesn't sound like you're taking literally, that we are well, I'm, in the sense that, I take literally like the things that the Hebrews, context tells you to take literally according yeah, to the definition yeah. of the word. Well, the author of Hebrews right. calls the temple and the, the literal Lord. place in heaven. Yes, that will that will be the fullness on your heart. Yeah. <laughs> they they are referred to in terms of types and shadows, copies and shadows. The blueprint. He calls the temple. He says that Moses followed a blueprint, right? Yeah, like the he, one in heaven. That's what yeah, I just read in Hebrews 8:5. Right. Yeah. But but see, no, but you take that Not your heart, not your body. I never said that. Okay. You, 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 I thought you just did actually. I'm sorry. Wait, I'm what? trying to keep up with you. I'm but, asking about, you You said the purpose of baptism was oh. for people, for the priest to enter the Holy of Holies once a year. No, I no, agree no, with no. you, but John the Baptist was baptizing the average lay person. That's the whole point. It's right. not, right. It's not close to just the like, priest. just it's like an, close to the Levites, just like in Exodus 19, when God instructed all the people that were going to come to the base of the Mount to wash themselves three days earlier. Okay. Baptism is a long-standing, just like in Genesis 35, Jacob and his whole family washed themselves and changed their garments to go you to the temple of Bethlehem. Like that was an institution under the it old was. covenant. It, it was, was because Leviticus chapters 12 through 15, no, Leviticus 12 through 15, a person oh, is to keep goodness. themselves clean so they can come before the Lord. Just like Exodus 23 says, three times a year, all the males are to come before me, all the males of Israel. That's not just the priests. Yeah. Okay, but the, the institution of it, yeah, I'm just saying you're you're well, applying well, something well, just to the priest to everybody, but that's and, and, I already but told what, you we're in a priesthood prolifically. Yeah, common denominator that they were coming into the presence of God. What's John the no, Baptist doing? He's some of those people never met Yeshua ever. He's coming near the presence. Yes, but the nearer you got to God's presence, that's where the cleanliness and the purity laws came into fruition. That's John the Baptist was a prophet. Be, please don't interrupt. Okay, John the Baptist was Hebrew. a prophet, but he's qualified as a priest. That's something that most people don't recognize. He was, but, but was he ordained in the temple ministering as a priest? No, he wasn't. Okay, so then it's, it's not the same context of Leviticus. But he was introducing the new temple and the new priesthood. That's where in, they in we have such a fundamental disagreement. Because in Matthew 3. He was he, what did he say? I baptize mm -hmm. you with water, but the one he who comes after me will baptize you with the spirit and with fire. Mm -hmm. He's doing something. He said Jesus would baptize people with the spirit with fire sure. that's sure. a new thing that's sure. not because that, he, that's, he knew jesus was appointed and prophesied to be the high priest and and why why does it matter it, it matters because when we are baptized in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit we take on a new identity as children of god and as citizens of his kingdom sure. ephesians children, 2 8 10. children yeah, of god right. in a yeah. very new sense ephesians the 5, old yes. testament old testament is very hesitant to refer mm -hmm. to god as Father. There's a few times it's used metaphorically, and the first announcement Jesus it's, makes is, oh, "What?" Deuteronomy 32. Yeah, I said it's a. There's a few times it's used yeah. metaphorically. Once in Isaiah 64, and uh, in Psalm 103, David compares God to a father because he's not judging. Are you, are you coming from a Trinitarian standpoint at this point? Is that what you're? I am at? coming to it yeah, from okay. a Trinitarian standpoint. Okay. I'm coming from a biblical standpoint. Do you hear me invoking the Trinity? I'm just well, quoting you're, scripture. You're, well, no, just you're quoting scripture. Hold you're on, leading listen. with certain scriptures, to which is typical Trinitarian arguments, though. 
Okay, but the but the whole point is that there's a whole new transformation of identity where now the people of God are not just a nation, they're a family, a family of God in virtue right. of sharing the sonship of Jesus Christ. I don't disagree with that. That's amazing. That's what we are. Right. Now, but why is that possible? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead also dwells in us. We sh we share the presence of God. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, Keegan. I apologize, brother. About 30 minutes ago, you had a question. Oh, <laughs> I no. so apologize no. to you, brother. You were trying to say something. Did you remember what that was? I don't know where it was. Just, just respond, I guess. Yeah, We've you can. All over. You can start to close this down. I know it's been long, a long time. Yeah, and I think so at this point we are circling back to something we've addressed yeah. two times previously about the indwelling of the Spirit. We would call it Hebrews eight calls it a deposit. Um, we I've shown you multiple verses that detail the the parameters for the new covenant as well as literally the writer of Hebrews 8 and verse 13 saying, he, after Yeshua's ascension, had not gone into the new covenant yet, that the old covenant was still growing old and becoming obsolete, waxing old. So even he, the writer of Hebrews, understood he wasn't in the new covenant yet because it's only promised at the resurrection to us, guys. This is where we get our incorruptible body and get these laws written on our hearts so we never sin again. Right now, if you can't try to claim that you're without sin, you're a liar, right? First John 1, 8. So right now, to the day you die, you need atonement from Yeshua. You need your high priest to mediate for you to forgiveness of sins. You see um, what I'm saying? Now, we, yeah, and, and we his, strive in our discipleship to get better. His sacrifice did it. For by a single offering, yes, sir. he has yes, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Yeah, you're perfected at this point. And you're being, that's a present I'm tense, being you're being perfected. sanctified. I'm yeah, being no, it perfected. says you are perfected, but for those who are being sanctified. sanctified yeah, I'm sorry, I'm being sanctified. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. It's a present it's tense. Story. You're not completed yeah. yet. Yeah, but is, I'm being sanctified by the one sacrifice, for by a single his, offering. What, what was his sacrifice? Single offering. What was his offering? Himself. What was his offering? Himself. Okay, so his himself. This is what Hebrews 5, 7 through 10 says, right? He's not a literal sacrifice. Did you guys realize that in Acts chapter 20 and 21, they're still doing temple sacrifices and the disciples participate as well as command? Uh, hold on, hold on. You're saying that he did not offer his body as a sacrifice? No, I'm saying let's look at the scriptures, brother. I'm saying yeah, that let's look still, at them. The, even the disciples are still participating in the Levitical temple sacrifices because it's part of the law. Well, hold and they on, did stick the law. to Hebrews 10. Don't jump. Well, no, this is a part. Can... This has this is everything to do with what you're talking about. You're deal trying to say that, that context, the sacrificial system was put away with, with Jesus, right? Are, are you trying to say the sacrificial system was put away with Jesus? I'm saying it was fulfilled. In what does Jesus. that mean to you? Uh, it means that all those sacrifices that were done in faith were made efficacious retroactively. I'm okay in, with that. But that doesn't Christ. mean the process goes away. What do you mean the process? The process. I'll was... read it to you. I'm trying to read the scriptures to us. Well, this is in Acts 21. Wait, stay in Hebrews 10. Well, brother, this. Okay, go go for it. Go I mean, I don't know what else to do if you, if I can't no, even cross-reference ideas from Scripture to explain concepts. Because okay, it, but I feel like we're jumping. I already gave you a full so synopsis of Hebrews seven, nine, and ten with great detail, comparing it to Leviticus sixteen. That didn't get me anywhere. So now I'm trying to go to another place because you're claiming that the the sacrificial system done through the Levites in the physical temple on the earth was fulfilled in Yeshua, and therefore it's incredulous and it's crazy that I would say that Yeshua is actually the sacrifices in the heavenly temple, which is exactly what the words say. So I'm trying to show you in Acts 21. It doesn't where, say sacrifices. Yes, it does, brother. Hebrews 8. Where does it say that? I just, yeah, I've read it, does, it four times now. I can't, I can't go back sacrifice. It does. It does it's not use the word sacrifice. It says sacrifices and gifts. And it also says in Hebrews 5. No, uh, offerings and gifts. That's a different word in Greek. No, it's not, brother. It's the same concept. Yeah, no, I, I, 
okay, now you're just, you're speaking in error. You need no, to own it. No, The word offering what, and the word sacrifice is distinct in Greek. Brother, there's nothing else a minister of the priesthood does inside the temple. Are you saying there's no different word for offering and sacrifice in Greek? Is that you what you're can, saying? You can look in Greek and in Hebrew and you'll find the words offering and sacrifice interchangeable in Leviticus because it's the job of a priest. Are you saying they're the same word? They're absolutely the same concept. There's two different words. Okay, the so there you go. So all the this time. This is just slippery, dude. No, it's you're not. Like, no, it's not. I've, I went over it four times. I had it on, on screen four times. The, and, the audience and knows never exactly once what I'm saying. did you say the words. The reason why it's about the shedding of blood, and an offering is different. You can okay. offer a grain offering, right? So after, you know, it's, I can only present my side, and and obviously we disagree. So after this, I would encourage studying Isaiah 56, also Isaiah. <laughs> I would encourage you studying 66, also. Okay. And, and study Zechariah 14 and also Ezekiel chapters 40 through 47. And you're going to see all the offerings are listed out in the new millennial kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, with the priesthood on earth and the priesthood inside, because that's where we're going to minister inside. Um, so that's just like he's ministering in the kingdom of heaven right now. And I'm showing you on, on screen right now, after Yeshua's life, death, resurrection and ascension to the father, they're still ministering on the earth outside of the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. They're still ministering on the earth in the days of the disciples. Yes. Show me. I, and I just, I just am hesitant to go somewhere else because I feel like we're Brother, just. Let me just read this. We for have to go into the whole chapter for at least. Go ahead. This is, says after we, that's Paul, we arrived in Jerusalem. The brothers and sisters received us gladly, and the following day, Paul went with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after he greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard about them, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, "You see, brother." how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed and they're all zealous for the law. That's amazing, right? They're doing the law of God Amen. and they have been told about you. They've been, this is the disciples, James and Peter and the other guys talking to Paul saying, well, we've, we've been told about you that you're teaching the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. So what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore do as we tell you. And what do they tell him to do? They say, we have four men who have a vow upon themselves. That's Leviticus chapter or Numbers chapter six. Take them along and purify yourselves together with them and pray their expense and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Numbers chapter six. And then everyone will know that there's nothing to what they have been told about you. They've heard some gossip that Paul's teaching anti-Moses concepts. And he's saying, prove to us that this is wrong by going and doing this number six vow with these other four men and pay for those, their expenses for the animals for the vow of the sacrifice. This is the disciples in Jerusalem post Yeshua resurrection. In verse 25, he says, but regarding the Gentiles who have believed, we sent them a letter having decided they should abstain from, and he's about to list off some things from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Mm -hmm. Meat sacrificed to icles and blood and what strangled and from sexual immorality. And mm -hmm. then Paul took along the men the next day, having purified himself together with them. That's a principle in Leviticus. He went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. We have sacrifices being done by the disciples, specifically Paul. Oh, totally. Post-resurrection post of Yeshua on an earthly priesthood in a temple for the Levites yeah. on the earth. Yeshua is doing his job as a high priest over everything in heaven and earth in a temple near the Father in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So this clearly ceremonial sacrifices for the days of purification, right? Are you, this, you this think they're a, offering sin offerings and guilt offerings here? This is a number six vow offering. If you, yeah. you have to go check out number six and you'll see the context of what they're talking about. Yeah. And, and I don't think that Jews should be 
required not to. This is not Jews, brother. These are believers in Christ. These are grafted in the new covenant. According to you, they're grafted in the new covenant. These are in Yeshua, the priesthood of Yeshua. This is the disciples. This is not just Jews. Yeah, we've been talking about it a lot tonight. This is not just this is not just Jews. There, there is no like Paul says, there is no Jew or Greek in Christ, right? This is literally they're grafted into covenant, they're doing covenant behavior, which is the terms of the covenant, which in this specific case was to prove Paul was teaching the law of God. Yeah. Converts yeah. making the Gentiles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To the Jews I became a Jew as under the Jews. To those under the no, law I became a Jew. Yeah, that's yeah, what Paul does in First Corinthians nine twenty two and so on. But listen. So but, then he misspoke uh, in Romans three thirty one when he tells the Romans to uphold the law. Yeah, no, no. But I've never argued that I'm not antinomian. We just read him doing part of the law, which is sacrifices. Yeshua, yeah, but, our high priest, does the law on our behalf, yeah. doing sacrifices in the temple in heaven. But hold on, two things, just quick. I don't. Uh, uh, in the clearly in the in the New Testament, there's a transition taking place, and I don't think that what was necessary for the Jews, it was necessary for the Jews to stop doing all their ceremonies. In fact, as a pastor, I'm I'm leading people in the Seder meal on Monday Thursday, and I'll, you know, so I'm all about bringing people into the story, bringing them into the customs of the covenant, Is of which ceremony? we are all a part. Is it ceremony or is it eternal law that God says was his righteous behavior? Well, it can be. That's what he describes in Psalm 19. Sure, sure. Then then what do you do on the Day of Atonement? Because is that I, not part I do of exactly what Leviticus 23, 32 tells me. I take do? a day off from work. I view it as a Sabbath. Okay. Take a day off from work. I don't work for income. I just rest. Read my Bible. A, thankful for the Lord. Just rest. You, you don't take a, it's not a, commanded, brother. All it's commanded is to rest from work on the day of atonement. Yeah, it's a Sabbath. Okay, so so you think so? We're getting in the weeds at this point. I think we're we're just talking about the law of God, whether we should do it or not, right? As disciples of Jesus. Well, but I don't disagree with that. I lead people in that right. regularly. Okay, but we were in Hebrews ten. I'd like to just I'd like to just finish this, and then can I just give you the last word? For sure, brother. And also, Brian, if you have last words, Keegan, if you have last words here, you guys, please chime in. Yeah. So in in Hebrews 10, this movement from sacrifice, which this is where that kind of we, we took a turn when it says sacrifices and offerings you've not desired and so on. What is a desire? Behold, a body prepared for me. I've come to do your will. Okay. And the body of Jesus It's in the body of Jesus. He says, uh, again, verse nine, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first. He's talking about the covenant in order to establish the second. So wasn't the previous context of three chapters leading up to that talking about the oh. priesthoods? But what about the priesthoods? You know, that what, what I was explaining earlier about he steps into a different priesthood from the Levites. He, yeah, why, he was. I said that earlier. He's not right. qualified as a Levite. He's came right. in the order of Melchizedek. That's why right. after it's explained in Hebrews 8, as far as what the promise of the new covenant was, then the writer of Hebrews in verse 13 says, this first covenant is waxing old and getting ready to disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you agree with that statement? Of course, I agree with the statement. That's okay. The so then, itself. then we're not in the new covenant because the old one's still waxing old and getting ready to disappear. Well, there's different ways you can interpret that. First of all, it could be referencing the fact that the temple was about to be destroyed, as Jesus predicted, because this was written probably in the 50s or 60s A.D. It was destroyed in 70 A.D. You cannot operate in the 
all the ways of the old covenant commands without a temple and so forth. But so, but the, it doesn't change the, and the fact that you have the, the, you have this overlap in the new Testament that it makes it messy to know how to, to parse out all of the references. But the clear thing that's being said is that Jesus is a mediator of a new covenant. He comes according to the order of Melchizedek, a new priesthood, uh, not a new priesthood because Melchizedek's back there in Genesis 14. And what you think of that is who knows, but, uh, but he comes in the order of Melchizedek and that priesthood is a priesthood where, remember what it says, Hebrews seven actually says where no one has served on the altar. Right. right. No man from among mankind has served in the heavenly temple until Yeshua. It doesn't right. say that. I mean, you're, yeah, that's you're reading into read in the next chapter in Hebrews eight, one through five. That's where it tells you exactly what's happening. That's Hebrews four fourteen. He yeah. passed through the heavens to the tabernacle yeah. in the heavens above. Yeah. Well, priest. I'm just saying, and that's what serving on the altar it means. Says, it says for the one for whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served on the altar. Talking about. Because from the Melchizedek was a king, you know, you know the story. Yeshua is from the tribe of Judah, not Levi. Technically, I know people like to bring in Mary's genealogy with Elizabeth yes. and Zacharias, but technically, he he assumes his father's tribal identity, yes. so he's from the tribe of Judah. Yes, yeah. and uh, yeah, I was just referring to Melchizedek being king of righteousness, king of peace. I feel like we will be yeah. way in the weeds if we yeah, start. But of course, he it's, did it serve is, on an altar on the ground in Genesis fourteen. Literally, he was a priest of the Most High God. He, well, he brought bread and wine, right? He yeah, didn't, but that's he didn't part of it. a sacrifice of tithe. I know, but I, but but, spit, yeah. but it's peculiar, is it not, that he brought out bread and wine to Abraham? It does not say that he offered a proper the, sacrifice. The priest, no, 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 the priest is not responsible for offering the sacrifice. Abraham was. He's the one who just got the spoils and needs to bring in his first. Right, priest. right, right. But 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 Melchizedek was is referred to right. As but him the bringing priest. bread and wine is does not change responsibility for Abraham to bring forth the proper sacrifice. No, oh, no, no. I yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Uh, what I was pointing to is that this priesthood is, as it says in Hebrews seven fourteen that it is evident that our Lord descended from the tribe of Judah and not connection, uh, sorry, in 7, uh, that, sorry, 716, that this priest arises um, in the likeness of Melchizedek who became a priest not a basis, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. That's the basis of that priesthood. That That's, that's what qualified Jesus. Why did he have an indestructible life? Because he did die. He got but resurrected of and glorified. He was raised from the right. dead. Right. That's how we enter the new covenant. You're exactly right. <laughs> that's how he inaugurated the new covenant. Amen. Right. But no one else is there. Yeah, he can be the first to inaugurate it. That's fine. But yeah. no one else yeah. is there. You're not dead yeah. yet, brother. You read it in Hebrews 9 yourself. No, no. You, you made the covenant with God and entered into oh, no. it with human faith I, and belief. Yeah, yeah. You I'm, haven't died yet. Yeah, I'm I'm going to die. And that's a judgment of sin, right? I yeah, believe I'm not talking that. about that. I'm just saying, like, all the descriptions you read in the new covenant have not qualified to you. Okay, That's all I'm trying to say. Just let me just let me finish this okay. this passage, okay? And then and then you could totally have that last last word. I love this conversation. Well, I think we got Keegan and Brian at one of Oh yeah, they, yeah, they can. You know, okay. So behold, I've come to do your will. He does away in away with the first in order to establish the second. He's talking about the covenant because he's referring back to what is necessary for a will to take effect, and he begins that discussion in chapter nine, verse fifteen. And then he says, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And every priest, this is verse 11, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time 
a single sacrifice for sins. To do he what? sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering. That's right. Single. Okay. That's one. That's not two. That's one. That's not more than one. It's one. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time. Once for all. Hold on. You can can have the last word. For all those who are being sanctified. It's still efficacious. It itself was proleptic in its efficacy. And retroactive in its efficacy. Sure, there you go. And then he quotes the Jeremiah 31 reality that is true to us now because we are his sheep and we hear his voice. Yeah. And then he goes on and and he, I won't go into the, those who profane the blood of the covenant that would just take us too far. But are you really going to go through all the chapters eight, nine and 10 right now? No, I said, I'm not going to, because I know it'll take too long. It looks like you are though. You just went through all of eight. I just said I'm not going to. Okay. I'm just I'm just saying. Uh, I just two more two more press passages, okay. and then and then I'm done. I'm just reading okay. scripture at this point. Then he says that we have come to Mount Zion. How have we come to Mount Zion? Interesting. He says you already have. That's past tense. You have come to Mount Zion. No, You're at Mount Zion right now. Well, Bro, get me the tickets. I want to go no, too. I, I'm reading the text. Okay, we, just saying, we start you, with the text, and just then we admitted, have to interpret them. You just admitted prolepsis two text two verses ago, but now you want to take it literal when it's literally talking about something that's not here. Yet? I didn't. I didn't admit prolepsis. I just simply said, for a single offering has perfected. What's it say? For all what time? That means forward and backward. That's right, when, not reading into the text. Well, okay. that's that's you applying for all time to forward and backward, which he's speaking about for those all being, time. Those who are being sanctified are the ones who are being perfected. You keep switching around those words there. Those who are being sanctified just, presently. All I did was read the pre- text. All I'm trying to say is the present sanctified people, the dis- people in discipleship right now, are being sanctified. He has perfected them for all time. Are you perfected yet? I'm being perfected. That's not what it says. It says you're being sanctified. That's a I'm discipleship sac- process. Yeah, be- well, I perfected perfe- the, sacrifice, the sacrifice has been perfected in Christ. Brother, you don't get perfected to the resurrection. And then you're currently being sanctified in discipleship because so you're doing the, perfect, the terms. Of, you're, are you saying perfection always refers to resurrection? Because I can no, point to I'm, a number of texts. No, I'm saying in this in this passage, yeah. what you're trying to say is is not applicable to what you're trying to. What am I at. trying to say? Well, you say you're already perfected. <laughs> That's what you said, and I said you're being. The text says you're being sanctified. Or by a single by this offering, sacrifice, he, perfected he has perfected all, okay. for all time those who That's are. Right. Being and how does that happen? Sanctified. This is a description phrase. How does the little nuts and bolts of that process happen? This requires you to know the concepts of the priesthood, brother. And you don't you think I know the concepts of the priesthood? You you just know them better than everyone. Is no, that, no. I just saying? respectfully you you've okay. shown me tonight that there are some places that you do not know. See, now you're just claiming you. your own authority. See, we no, have I'm two not. different. It's yeah, not about yeah, authority. It's not about authority. We, we have two about... different interpretations, and you're saying <laughs> no. I know it. I have this secret knowledge. Right? I got it on the screen. You just read it earlier in the previous verses there in chapter 10 that okay. he was taking the you, city. You right go ahead and have Father. that last word. I was going to read two more passages about the covenant from verse 8, from chapter 8, 10, and 13, but I'm done because I can't get through it without you interrupting me. So you go ahead and, or if you guys want to have the last word. I mean, brother, we've been talking at each other this whole three hours. Come on. Come <laughs> I on. know, but you wouldn't, you just wouldn't Come let me, on. you wouldn't let when, me finish. Hey, okay. So when I used to box, 
if you would have yeah. been like, I just want to rest for the last 10 seconds of this round and I didn't let you, then you would have been okay with that. No, of course. Well, you I would love to, to continue would love to, to participate. To okay. Yeah. Okay. Well then I'm going to continue to participate. So let me finish. Okay. You have come to Mount Zion. Okay. You have come. I'm just reading the text. So you can dismiss it however you want. If we're sparring, I got to be like that, right? No, I'm just kidding. But you have you you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and into innumerable angels and festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the Judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the Mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now let me read the last the last passage. It's at the close of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 20, and it's key, I think. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. God's working in us through the Holy Spirit presumably, in the same way Paul talks about it. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. My last statement okay, about the covenant is that here's the good news of the covenant. One, your sins are forgiven. That's what Paul calls the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 in that description. For Romans 1, it's the power of God for salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. According to the scriptures, he was raised from the dead. For according to the scriptures, right? Our, our brother, you you told me that if I was going to not interrupt you, you're going to finish those two passages. But now you're leading into more than those two passages. You now you're. Are you still trying to summarize a final yeah. statement, or can I talk yeah, to you? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say that the gospel is Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. That's that's the that, essence. How does that process work according to his priesthood? It's the essence of the gospel, and because of that, we have been brought into the new covenant for those who put their faith in Jesus, the, the new covenant in his blood. I mean, we haven't even talked about that passage, but into the new covenant in his blood and those who accept him, they are, they live was, in the freedom of that covenant. It's a new covenant. And here's what makes it better than the way Hebrews talks about it. It's because you have a, a capacity for communion with God so that God is actually doing the work in you to transform you so that you bear fruit of the spirit, not just yeah, behavior. That behavior is a fruit of God's work in you. The fruit is the behavior, brother. There's no differentiation. Well, joy is a behavior. Peace is a behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers. Absolutely. Oh, well, a peacemaker, but that's not the same as joy. Joy is a behavior. Joy is a behavior. hundred percent. hundred percent. And you know what, you know what Yeshua tells us about joy, how we get it? It's a behavior. Yeah. You can walk in sadness, depression, or joy, and you can choose to do those things. And in fact, in John chapter 15, verses eight, you don't Lord, think it's a fruit of the spirit then, I suppose. Well, I just, I just referenced Galatians 5, 22. Well, well, you're conflating works of the law essentially with fruit of the spirit. Brother, the, the behavior, let's go to joy since that's the fruit of the spirit mentioned in Galatians five. And this is what Yeshua talks about in John chapter 15. We'll go to our Messiah. Yeah, I know the I know the reference you're talking about. Okay, because he okay. tells us. I'm serious, yeah. man. Oh, by the way, I think I ticked off your brother. Someone's in the someone's in the chat. That's Matt upset at me. All right, so 
it looks like there are a lot of people upset at me. <laughs> no, it's you all, have it's, you have quite the little following there. Yeah, they're they're not upset. They're just you know it's they're one protective of, those things of where, you. It looks no, like. so that's cute. They don't. They know they don't need to protect anybody. It's just okay. literally. Are we, you know, are we interpreting? Are we taking the words at face value? You say you are, I say you're not, and that's just where it yeah. divides. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm screen, just crapping it out, you know. I just take Sean, it. Out. I think we're gonna win for your longest live video. I don't yeah, know. Not, if we are. I did, yeah, I did yeah, a four yeah, hour yeah. on the mark of the beast. Oh, nice, nice. So in John chapter 15, verse eight says, "My Father's glorified this so that you bear much fruit." Now watch <laughs> what he does here. He connects fruit with joy. So to prove to be my disciples, that's how you bear fruit. And how do you do that? How do you bear fruit and be his disciple? Verse, verse nine, just as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep, oh, there's that conditional concept you talked about earlier. If you keep my commandments, you will yeah. remain in my love. Yeah. And as I kept my father's commandments and remain yeah. in his love. Yeah. These, yeah. Are, are you doing the father's commandments? That's Matthew keep tells me stuff in her. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. then this is verse so 11. So what's joy is behavior? You're going to let me finish? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go so for this it. Is, these things I've spoken to you. These things I've spoken to you, right? To bear fruit as my disciple and keep the commandments. To bear fruit, my disciple, keep the commandments. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be yes. full. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. How do you get joy? You do by walking in the spirit and not gratifying what, what the he, lust of the flesh, obeying right. his commandments. What did, what did but he, what he, is joy of behavior? He gives, what did he Romans gives 8, his say, joy. It's a fruit brother, of the spirit. Brother, what did Romans 8, 5 in verses 5 through 8 in, in Romans 8, what did it say that if you walk in the spirit, you do not gratify the desires of the, of the flesh. Because those who gratify the desires of the flesh cannot yeah. submit themselves to the law yeah. of God. But yeah, but this is, this is like, you, you're not following a clear line of logic right now. Yes, I, I am. No, you discipleship, discipleship is commandments and leads oh, to joy. I feel like you just like you just shower these new categories. Let's look I at literally the, have it on screen here for us. But joy we can go on to is not a behavior. Screen. Okay, brother. It's the fruit of the spirit, but it's okay. not a behavior. Okay. Now, peace, patience, behavior. kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all are behavioral. But okay. peace and joy... Even Jesus says, my peace I give to this you, not as the much. world gives to I. Yeah, yeah, I think we're getting off into the rails here of semantics. Yeah. I think I'm ready for Keegan. To, if you have a final statement, yes. brother, I appreciate your patience tonight. Oh, no worries. Um, I just want to pray. Yeah. I was going to pray okay. at the beginning, and then I was just trying to submit to what you're doing. I was like, I'm just going to pray. and and uh, Maybe Brian can do the last word, and then you pray us out. Is sure. that okay Brian with you, Sean? Or whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Brian, did you uh, want to make any final statements? You're on uh -oh, mute. mute. Mute, Brian. Brian, take your thing off mute, buddy. There you go. There we go. All right, can you, you hear me now? Yes. Uh, and your guys' knowledge is a lot more than mine, but uh, uh, you say you're an not antinomian. Is that just specific parts of the Bible, or is that the whole Bible? Uh, no, that word comes from the term... The Greek word namas, which means law, means I'm not anti-law. That's that's all I mean by that. Meaning, and and so and, and what I would mean by that is if you understand the law, the 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 different aspects of the law. There's there's uh, ceremonial law, and Sean would probably disagree. There's moral law. There's judicial law uh, in the under the old covenant and maybe brian it might be good just to summarize what you know a couple minutes of where you, what you're feeling because i feel like we could just jump back into something okay yeah so, i think new covenant theology says the law is the entirety of it and then i think covenant theology divides it from the debates i've heard 
Um, so I, I guess my question is, should I eat pork? Uh, I I had bacon for breakfast this morning. You should ask Sean that, though. Because when I look into <laughs> the scripture, why would he ask the, me? Well, I mean, uh, see, I just to see if if you have a difference of opinion is what I'm saying. Well, what's your opinion? He asked you first, though. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he was talking to me. I'm sorry, Brian. Yeah, I, I think that you are free to eat pork. In fact, Jesus declared all foods clean in the gospel. Where does it of say Mark. that? Where in does the gospel it say that? of Mark. In the gospel of Mark. The one in the parentheses where they added it. Oh, that's not added. It's not in parentheses because it's because it's a a scribal edition. It's in. Right, let's bring it up. Let's bring it up. It's, it's on screen, brother. It's not in the text. Uh, that, 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 no, 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 no. Thereby is not in the text. It is. I'll I'll open my Greek text right now and read it to you. Here's the Greek text right here. Let's go to it. Mark seven. Seven nineteen. Seven fancy 19. words on that book, right, Chandra? I don't know what they meant. I don't know what them are. <laughs> Shut up. Seven nineteen. Yep. Seven nineteen. Yep. Yeah. So this will be a huge theological issue, Jeremy, if if he did declare a different law than the Father, yet he claims he said only and did only the Father's commandments. So yeah, here's the Greek text on screen. It does not declare all things clean. He talks about things coming out of the belly and into the sewer, which is purifying all the food. This is a translator, famous, actually famous translator insertion in this passage. 719. Yeah, that's on screen. Yeah. Uh, so what? So what, hold what on. What are we seeing on the screen? Is that just words that are in that passage? This is the, the Greek strongs. This is the Greek actual letters. And this is the English translation of the Greek in the third column on the right-hand side. This oh, I, is, see how, I see how it's playing out. It, it it, I'm sorry, but it does say it does say it in Greek. The parent the parentheses in this uh, in this case is not saying that it's not in the original text. It's say, it's making a parenthetical comment in the narrative. It no says katharizone pantan ta uh, bromata. That's what it says, which means purifying, purifying. all meats. Yeah, pure, this is what this is. This is what he's talking about. That it w it's not clean that because they didn't wash their hands. But he was saying that this is what you put in your body. Your body purifies as it comes out. He's not talking. That he couldn't. He would literally been stoned in that moment if you would have been saying that you could eat pork. Uh, so. And they would have been justified I, I just, to stone him according I, to the Torah. I absolutely disagree with you here. And okay, that, I know you do. So, so in the New uh, Jerusalem, no, what on, does it on. tell us about what, what about Peter's vision when he that's, saw? That's, that's, not, a, Gentiles, that's not about. Right? Yeah, that was about the Gentile and Jew thing. It's just okay. about. Food. It's not about food. It's literally right. in the text, brother. It tells you any so man you, that Yahweh's made think, clean, do not you, call him clean. So you think that when Gentiles come into the covenant, that they are required to eat? They require to abstain from eating pork. It's eternal, brother. All the all the instructions for what God called food and what He didn't call food. Instructions that even Noah understood before the boat. Yeah, that in Leviticus eleven, Jeremy fourteen. Those instructions will be yeah. followed in the kingdom. Yeah. And I would just say, zone, pantanta, bromata. Yeshua can't just change the law, brother. That's not how it works. He would have not been a prophet. He would have been stoned immediately. He can't just change the law. Well, I would I would just say he's the one who wrote the law and he has the authority to amend the law, raise the standard where he wants and bring you're, in 
Gentiles who eat pork because he has an international mission to all tribes, tongues, and nations that would include pork eating Gentiles like you and me. What, well, is it, what does it say on screen here? This is after March. Hold 7, on, hold on. Matthew 23. What's that? What does it say on screen? This is in chronologically. This is after Mark 7 statement. Mm-hmm. And this is in Matthew 23. And Jesus is speaking to the crowds and he's telling them the scribes and Pharisees sit in the chair of Moses. Whatever they tell you to do, comply with it all. But do not do as they do, for they say things and don't do them. Do you think the Pharisees were telling people it's okay to eat unclean foods? No. Exactly. I Yeshua think they were being legalistic about it. Brother, wait a minute. Getting now, wait a minute, wait a minute. On the, yeah, Look, they were elevating. He's really telling you right here in the passage to and, do everything they read from the law of Moses, but don't yeah. do their hypocritical behavior because they don't do what they yeah. read. Okay. Instead, we disagree. We disagree on an interpretation of the passage. I think you're not seeing the plain text, and you you just you 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 refuse to think that Jesus has the authority to amend a law. Jesus told us himself, he's the high priest and the judge of the yeah. law. He's okay. not going to change it. He does his father's behavior. Okay. He actually came and only does what the father told him to do. This is John seven fourteen. If we go to Ezekiel forty four, so Ryan. Ryan I think you can eat pork. Sean says you can't. Do you have any other questions? Okay. I, I just, it, we're not going to get any further because we, we took, we looked at a very simple passage and I, I just don't think you're taking it for what it says. And that's fine. It, it, we disagree. Yeah. What other? It would, it would not have been sinless just to go and say, Hey, you guys can go eat, eat unclean foods when that was literally called transgression of the law. Okay. What else? Anything else, Brian? Yeah, in most of Paul's writings, he's battling traditions outside of God's commandments and whatnot. Yep. yep. So, like, so, like, uh, uh, you know, the church uses, you know, Colossians two sixteen all the time, but then the header right before that says freedom from human rules, and I think that's an accurate statement of what he's dealing with: human traditions. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, he actually says it. I mean, that's, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, so when I study Paul and I look mm-hmm. into it in depth, it just seems like he's never contradicting the uh, the commandments. But, oh, look, Colossians 2.16. Oh, yeah, now I can eat pork. Well, but listen says, to what he said. Judge and listen to what he says. He says, let no one pass judgment. I feel like what I have to do right now is not let you pass judgment on me, Sean, because it says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or is new he talking or about Sabbath. Is he talking to believers that he's expecting them to do it or? Yeah, he's, I don't he's know. He's counseling his believers that he made, his converts he made. He's, he's discipling them. Yeah. I'm not passing judgment, brother. I'm just, this is just one disciple to another disciple saying I, I would do the behavior of the father and not try to think that we have the authority to change it. And Yeshua didn't change it. He said he didn't change it. He told us to do the law. If you know the son, you know the father, right? Yeah. We, no one's seen God. Yeah. Did the Messiah eat pork? This made him known, right? Did did the Messiah eat pork? Uh, Definitely not. Okay. Do that then. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep eating pork because he, because the Messiah (laughs) declared all foods clean. No, he didn't brother. No, he didn't. Um, So that's what he did. He did. Yeah. Mark seven nineteen. Everyone listening, you're blessed to go eat pork. Did you guys know that in Psalm one forty two, Psalm one nineteen forty two, and verse sixty, it says that God's laws, His judgment, statutes, and commandments are eternal. Mm-hmm. Do you know that so, it says in the first eternal. I quoted from 
Hebrews that his covenant is eternal. That's, that's not what I'm saying, brother. You're, you're dodging. I, know, but, yeah, I mean, you're, you're dodging. Just like, you're dodging. The laws are eternal. I'm not dodging. I'm not yeah. dodging. If the laws are eternal, mm-hmm. do you feel that it would be um, in line with the Torah to come kill us because we may not have kept the Sabbath? That's not that's not my position in the law, brother. You have to know the law before you throw that kind of like. Well, no, that's a good question. Statement. No, it's not. Let me tell you why. Yeah. The position of the judges and the priests were the one that decided disputed matters. Moses even chose them in Exodus 18. We see them chosen again in Numbers. This was the decision of the the judges and the priests first, and then the okay. elders of the people second. So we don't have anyone, that judicial system. Right we're now. not in that system. We're literally not in that type of setup because we're dispersed, as was prophesied. So there are no Levite judges that are over me in authority in this current dispersion, right? When that time returns and this and the new the kingdom of God comes down and you and me are in the Melchizedek order ministering the law alongside Yeshua, we may have to make that judgment, Keegan. So you might have to kill me. If, if, no, if, you, you, you completely didn't hear a thing I said, brother. You didn't hear a thing I said, man. Why would you ask me a make, question and just ignore say, me? You would say we would make that judgment, not you. Would. I, brother, I said, look, once we get to the, the kingdom of heaven, you and I are made priests to rule and reign with Christ. Part of that reigning concept and ruling concept is that just like the, the priests of, of the old, they're judges among the people. They did judge disputes amongst the law and cases brought to them when people transgress the law. And they had to make a decision whether they wanted to apply the punishment of the law or not. And they would make an evaluation based on the Torah, the law. So you and I are going to be doing that when we're priests who rule and reign during the millennial reign, as we interact with all the people outside the kingdom of heaven who are repopulating the earth. For a thousand years, we get to do that. So no, it would not be contextually appropriate. It would not be theologically appropriate for right now for for any believer to try to stone another believer according to a transgression of the Torah. That's not how it works, brother. I didn't expect you would say yes. I was just curious with, with saying the law is eternal. But no, no, that makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. How about I pray for us? Does that You're welcome to, brother. Yeah. Cool. Oh, so far, <laughs> I've had to pee for a while too. Um, I'll I'll pray, Jeremy. You can hear me. No, hold on. <laughs> he wants to come back. Um, I am appreciative of you having us on and being cordial, and it's been fun. Um, yeah, so, I really have appreciated it. I know, sorry, I know it gets lively, but guys, I get passionate just like you guys do. Yeah, so hopefully, you guys understand. There's no ill will. There's no. It's just totally. that this is the reason why this is a passionate concept for a lot of people is because this is not just some strange interpretation that I decided one day I'm going to wake up to. This is something through diligent study, almost nearly almost every day for 23 years, studying the scriptures, going to church, taking notes, going to pastors in their offices between services calling pastors on the phone, going to lunch with pastor, asking questions and not getting good answers, any answers that make no sense. And respectfully, I've gotten some of those tonight. So and after, I feel like I have too. And I feel like I know you're you starting I know, like your own religion here. That's no, what it feels it's not. like. No, brother, it's nothing. Like, almost, no, 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 that's, that's, that people, no, I mean, that's kind of insulting. And I just want to so, say, yeah, I feel so like what you're saying. Yeah. Sense, yeah? yeah, so I, is what you're saying. I have a little following and I worry about them and I worry about you to be quite honest guys in case you're not aware this quote-unquote following is small potatoes to what's been happening for the last 20 years amongst believers worldwide two thousand years you should probably say respectfully brother no the last 20 years in not just the united states but worldwide people have been calling to mind the idea of what it means to disciple 
with Yeshua, according to what I, many of the verses I read tonight, where Yeshua tells us to keep the commandments. And what that means and applies to us, they get rid of any forms of antimonianism. They get rid of any forms of supersessionism or dispensationalism. They're getting rid of any forms of contradictory nonsense theology that has never made sense to a lot of believers, but have never had the chance to have live interaction with the people that are teaching them in these churches. So as a result of this, they're all coming by the millions, brother. Uh, this may be your first introduction to me on this channel. And, you know, I've, on this particular channel only has like 2,000 subs. And my main channel has almost 11. It's small potatoes. There's other tour channels out there. They got 500,000 subs. The point is there's people hungry for the word of God to want to walk, First John 2, 3, to walk in his behavior so they can know him. And they're so unfulfilled with seminary theology that it's, they've reached a breaking point and it's been 20 years now. So I don't know if you're not heard of this and you might want to research it if you haven't, but do not be surprised, brother. And I say this with as much love and respect, not because I'm trying to play gotcha, but simply because I know the position you're in. You're in a rock and a hard place amongst the people you have to pastor over, the administration board, the deacons, everything involved, the church bills. No, all of, it's not all like that. that. I actually love my job. I didn't I say, I didn't say you didn't love it. I didn't say not didn't between love a rock and a hard place. All I'm saying is be prepared. <laughs> be prepared in the okay. next decade, if not sooner. You're uh -huh. going to get a lot of people like Brian and me coming up to you very informed in the word, trying to Good. say, hey, that I saw be, you say something in this message, that, but it doesn't make sense to what to what this guy says here in this sense. Okay, I just people spiritually and biblically literate. Yes. Because yeah. I that's what we need. That's absolutely what we need. Yeah. And and I respect that you have searched the scriptures like the Bereans. I pray yeah. that you will continue that the spirit of truth would guide you into all truth and convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment, mm -hmm. all with reference to Jesus. And yeah. that we would all come to a clear yes. understanding in the of the knowledge of the Son of God. And on that basis, we can build up the unity of faith, as it talks about in Ephesians 4. But I'm concerned that you may be following a false gospel. What do you I'm think sure that you is? Can you enunciate it in one sentence? Yeah, I don't think you believe Jesus is the eternal son of God. That's I don't think you believe. <laughs> that's, that's I don't think you that believe point, in brother. the, what's that? That's actual slander at three and a half hours at this point. You, 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 for you, to, for you to truly not, come away from this conversation with that opinion is so no, misrepresented. Everything I've said I did is ridiculous. One, I did watch one. I did watch one of your videos is Jesus God. And you said that you've interpreted monogamous begotten as that Jesus had a beginning and the father created or produced him, right? Okay, so this is more Trinitarian. This is what Trinitarians do every single time. You don't agree with their specific theology and they think, yeah, you're not a believer. It's horrible well, behavior, brother. Really, yeah, you should chastise yourself you on can, that behavior. It's horrible that's fine. behavior. You can just characterize it as horrible. But I feel like I have a responsibility to say that I don't think that you believe in the same God that the church the of Jesus Lord of Christ Lords, God. King of Kings, the Messiah, the High Priest. The, one I've been the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19, when I referenced earlier, of course I do. Mm -hmm. Literally, 1 Timothy 2, 5, it's Yeshua that ministers to the Father. Who do you think I've been talking about this whole time? And, and, well, I'm and I think baffled false, that you could truly come, come across like this. false gospel in, in the sense that I, I feel like you're calling people back to a law that has The behavior been, of Jesus. The behavior of Jesus. Uh, if you put it like that, I agree. But the behavior of Jesus then... That you just said you're not going to keep. Capitulated in terms of an old covenant that I don't think we are under. I don't so the think old covenant can promises you that, their relationship with God. I'm so confused. The old covenant promises he's going to put the laws in your heart. You claim you're in the new covenant. Why aren't? Why would you be opposed to the laws being on your heart? And you, that means you do them, right? They usually right. say that's just Christ's laws. 
I know, I know. That's what I said at the very beginning. It's the law of Christ that they always reference. instead. Uh, I I mean, I just believe what Paul said in Romans 2, that even the Gentiles who don't have the written law show that they have a law written on their hearts, their conscience bears witness to it, right? Their conscience bears witness to it, and it will perhaps accuse them or accuse them on the day of judgment. I'll pray for us, John. You you can close. We could go, it looks like, for days. Okay, let's pray. I thank you for these guys and their amazing hearts and how... Um, brilliant these minds are that we're talking to and how desperate all of us are to just know and understand who you are and who you call us to be. And I just thank you for clarity, Holy Spirit, that you'd overwhelm each and every one of our hearts, minds, souls, bodies, every part of our soul and being that we would be overwhelmed with your presence and your understanding and your revelation and clarity in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Bless you guys. Thank guys, you. thanks for coming on so much. I'm going to yeah. uh, uh, bring you back into the waiting room in the studio. You can take off if yeah. you need to, and then I'll close out the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Okay. Thanks. thanks.